being programmed to chill a show about business crime parapolitics and esoterica with your host jimmy fallon gong all right yeah where did we leave off because like holy cow we were cooking with fire or <laughs> cooking with oil <laughs> yeah. is the phrase <laughs> yeah right it was uh it was getting intense i'm uh i'm still a bit shocked shell shocked or whatever uh let's see well, I mean, we were talking about, there was this, we were starting to establish a kind of connection uh, between uh, Mendocino State Hospital, Van Dusen, uh, that is, you know, the LSD shaman at that hospital, <laughs> the, Swe- the Swedenborgian LSD the shaman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the doctor, that's right. And... Uh, uh, and this was all taking, you know, place like this was made possible all under this uh, umbrella term called the uh, Mendocino plan, which was a kind of uh, deinstitutionalization project uh, of like mental health care. Uh, I mean, child care, do you call it that? Like, you know, foster children, things like mm-hmm. a- anything connected to welfare, I guess. Um also old people as well, obviously. Um, and then, yeah, we looked at how the uh, the head of the Department of Welfare in Mendocino, this guy called Denny, he uh, was kind of on to them. He knew what they were up to. He had seen, he had with his contacts in Indiana, uh, he had seen that this was what Jones had been doing over there as well. And so he kind of confronted him. And, uh, well, Jones in so many words admitted to what uh, um yeah what they were up to or like he felt caught at least it seemed like so you know then he knew that he was uh, he was onto the you know the right track when it came to the pt mm. so uh yeah like um now i said that there were three um i said that there were three uh, tapes which uh, uh, I found in Jonestown when they are talking about Van Dusen. So just to like reaffirm this connection, I'll, I'll read uh, one paragraph from each tape. And here's uh, Q955, August 1972. Quote, we got to have a little schooling tonight. This is Jones talking, obviously. <laughs> we need some briefing. We can't put it in writing. Maybe this ought to go around by telephone. Some things you need to know when you're dealing with psychologists. Oh, so this is 1972, but I'm sorry, this is not in Jonestown. This is before. Uh, actually, oh, I see now that they are all probably from before Jonestown. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, psychiatrists say um, some things you need to know when you're dealing with psychologists. Psychiatrist says, oh, yes, we've been praised very highly by one of the heads of the hospital here. We were, don't give the man's name, though. It's Van Dusen, but don't give it because you might cause some pressure and he might back down on the pressure. End of quote. Q218, August 1974. It is true that this is the only refugee. We, uh, we, uh, we gotten all of our young people off drugs. The government, federal program, before we, he was dismissed, said he, Van Dusen, said that it, it was the greatest drug rehabilitation program in America. It's kind of incomprehensible, you know, sometimes he just, you know, 
um, I could send you all this actually later if you wanted a sound recording and then you would have like exactly and so you hear in what way Jones st stutters and everything. That could be cool. Yeah. Right. Um, okay, and so then there is Q1022 from October 24, 1973. I wish I had the time for uh, uh, the kind of uh, palliative therapy and gentle therapy that our good doctor recommended. But we're in a battle for our lives. Pause. And we found that we've kept a lot of people from hardline drugs and we've had the best record according to the government. Doctor, what was his name? Van Dusen. The best record in the United States. An unintelligible... Uh, oh yeah, that's an intelligible word. The whole whole region in drug rehabilitation. And we've done it by sternness, not pampering. And we didn't do it just to be stern. We did it because we had to. Okay, so that's the final episode that I find. And so, you know, we're starting to see, I guess, you know, a pattern of the immense influence of the People's Temple in San Francisco and you know, how much they were allowed to be a part of this um, uh, project of the institutionalization. Um, which, you know, became, I guess, a pretty big program since this is the kind of thing that liberals and conservatives conservatives will, will you know, gang up on. They both want to deinstitutionalize things. Yeah, no, that that's true, since at least Jimmy Carter. Um, wait, so let yeah. me say, so the quote was saying that Jim Jones was saying that Van Dusen was saying that they were very effective at doing drug rehabilitation. That's right. Best in the country, apparently. Now, I have to beg the question, right? So this is mm -hmm. Jones saying Van Dusen said it. <laughs> and yeah. we know what the word of Van Dusen is worth. And we know what the yeah. word of Jim Jones is worth. So it's like, do you think yeah. do you think this is even true? I mean, I don't I don't think it might have been the best in the country. And I, I don't know, I think that the, the I think the interesting question is, what do they think the best means? You know, like yeah, <laughs> other people like, might have. <laughs> like you can like, get a hundred percent, like getting a hundred, like you could get a hundred percent rate of like solving, you know, a drug addiction by shooting someone in the head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he doesn't remember who he is. Yeah, making them join a cult would probably reduce their drug addiction but you would be making a even worse like yeah. member of society right yeah yeah fighting fire with fire or something i you know i mean uh it, th those kind of like proverbs aren't even like you know they don't do justice to what these people are doing i think i mean yeah like you say like you know having somebody join a cult rather than being a drug drug addict i don't know if that's considered you know, one should even consider that to be a success, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think like in connection, you know, we now we only have one connection. And I want to get the kind of, you know, trifecta, like a three point connection here <laughs> to to really try to, to link it, you know, so that we have this kind of, I mean, they call it drug rehabilitation, but we know that when you're dealing with drug rehabilitation and you use drugs to get people off drugs, something else is also going on right like it's it's just an experiment in behavioral modification right mm -hmm. that's what they're doing and uh, so when we're talking you know in these terms and we have this idea of drug rehabilitation at least officially in our mind uh well we can't help to not take a look at synonym right the mother of all anti-drug <laughs> programs i guess in the u.s <laughs> and this was already we mentioned this way back right in the first article 
Um, and he didn't seem to have that much, uh, which, you know, credits still for him for having anything back in the 70s. Um, and um, yeah, Sinanon, as you remember from the introduction, right, took a curious turn at the time of the MK Ultra's official shutdown. And again, this is when the Medicino Hospital shuts down as well. Uh, and this is also the time that other cults starts to appear. Again, you know, full force, complete with multi-million dollar financing, highly polished PR campaigns, connection with politics, organized crime, uh, and apparent, you know, immunity from investigation by police and law enforcement agencies. And this is, you know, <laughs> you said, uh, right, like, yeah, how do they go from zero to 120 in a weekend? And mm -hmm. Synanon seems to have done something similar. And Synanon and, and People's Temple, they were both operating in uh, like the Potrero Hill, which is a very small area of San Francisco. I've never been to San Francisco, but uh, I heard, uh, I tried to find out a little bit about it. And seems to be, today it seems to be very gentrified. It's mm -hmm. got like an artist and I mean, everywhere is gentrified in San Francisco, I guess. Um, yeah. They have, um, <laughs> mm -hmm, yeah. They seem to have like some LGBTQ plus uh, scene and an artist scene over there. But in the 60s and the 70s, it seems to have been practically a heroin ghetto, uh, so as far as I can understand. And so that's, you know, why they both set up their rehab shops over there. And uh, there was also another church located over there who was run by a black activist um, who seems to have been, you know, very friendly terms with the People's Temple. I read some transcripted telephone conversations when they are congratulating each other on their work. And this church was also found to stock uh, Molotov cocktails and other weapons uh, in a mm -hmm. law enforcement raid. Yeah. And, um, mm -hmm. and it's not clear like if it was the San Francisco Police Department or the FBI or both who did the raid. Uh, but there seems to be, you know, somebody was assuming that uh, they had connections with the SLA um, <laughs> and we'll, we'll get back to like the SLA connection later, like when we get into the gorillas and stuff. But uh, since, you know, this only comes up, I guess, in the Potrero Hill area, I uh, that's why, you know, I just mentioned it here. The uh, There's a lot of really weird stuff in San Francisco at the time. Of course, we know that there was like, right. you know, the Haight-Ashbury uh, free clinic, which they were doing yeah, just yeah. outright MKUltra experiments. Uh, I think it was San Francisco where they had the uh, like midnight climax operation where they were basically, well, they did a bunch of different things there. But there was a filming of like people mm -hmm. with prostitutes on LSD, right? that's right and then like, <laughs> yeah. and it's like okay that's the thing that like they say they were doing and then they were probably mm -hmm. doing a bunch of additional things that you know we don't yeah. for sure know about yeah there was this doctor right like who had earlier in the 50s done some kind of or he had picked up from somebody else who was doing this uh rat society like he had so many rats and he was giving them uh, different drugs, right? Like first they would start off with acid and then they would introduce speed and they would study how like these kind of alpha rats started to appear that would just eat the children of other rats and, you know, keep all the mm. the, the female rats close to them. And, and then, I don't know, like I think it was Tom O'Neill, right? Like who pointed out that there was this kind of shift in, in uh, San Francisco and, and 
I always forget how to pronounce that place. The ha- ha- Audrey Habsburg. What? <laughs> how do you say it? The where the clinic. Hate Ashbury. Hate Ashbury. Yeah, Hate Ashbury. Uh, that all of a sudden, like over you know a week, it, like the whole city was flooded with speed, right? And speed mm-hmm. seemed to come with the with the motorcycle gangs and stuff. Uh, it didn't really have that kind of organic or you know. Well, it, it, LSD wasn't organic either, but it seemed to be more spontaneous in its distribution, right? You knew yeah, somebody yeah. who could cook speed. And I'm sorry, LSD. Whereas here, it was the well, the usual story, right? Of gangsters uh, selling it and just flooding the whole place with it. Yeah, there was this whole change where it was suddenly a bunch of bikers, a bunch of speedheads, rather than a bunch of you know acid heads. And like, mm-hmm. I didn't make this very explicit in my like Lake and Hang episodes, but like. You know, those were just two of the many freaking weirdos that started showing up and literally like preying on the hippies. Right. That's that true. That's true. Yeah. I mean, that was always, I, I just because I was thinking it was all taking place in Mendocino all the time, I thought it was more of a, uh, you know, picking up hitchhikers and, and things like that. But of course, I mean, of course, they, they might have been hippies too. And they were in that commune, as you said as well. Mm hmm. I mean, why wouldn't they have gone to San Francisco like the? Yeah, no, they were like taking people from that exact neighborhood. It's freaking nuts. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. There's, even the clinic itself was very strange, right? Didn't the, it? It wasn't it. Uh, I can't remember exactly, but they they kept records, right? They were you know basically like a field station of keeping records of what was happening to these people on these drugs. Uh, Oh, yeah. It's been a while since I read Chaos, so I don't remember uh, all the details either. But yeah. And then, of course, I don't think those records were (laughs) released to the public. Right. Yeah. uh, uh, And and, and Manson was there, right, all the time with his girls. They were getting, like, checkups and stuff. That's right. Mm -hmm. Uh, Right. Well, I found one text, like... um, by someone called Elina Broslovsky, um, titled Lara Johnston Cole, my friend. And uh, uh, Lara Johnston Cole was um, was a survivor from the well, Project White Knight, the, the ultimate White Knight. Mm-hmm. And so she was treated uh, at Sinanon afterwards. And there seemed to be quite a few people who was treated with the, well, you know, they, they went to the game after they'd been to Jonestown. Uh, and she confessed to... Um, well, she didn't even confess because it, it seems like she didn't know what she was telling her. Uh, she, the, she was crying and, and this, you know, the reason why this uh, Elena Brosolovsky is writing about her is that she remembered her transformation. You know, she, she would cry and the whole, like, the whole game would just stop when she had a breakthrough. Uh, uh, you know, because, I mean... People want to know what happened in, in Guyana, right? Mm-hmm. And she, uh, she, um, she, uh, she says in an offhand remark that Laura Johnston told her that quote that Synanon had donated the powdered drink mix that was used to serve the poison. End of quote. Which, I mean, of all the knowledge, like of all the kind of anecdotal sayings and knowledge that I received about Johnstown. This one is like, it can either mean nothing or it could be like, it, it can mean everything <laughs> somehow, you know? It's such a loaded thing. Yeah, because it's just like, wait a minute. <laughs> like, 
that, <laughs> like that's insane if that were true yeah it's really crazy because it's also like you know that's what everybody knows about jonestown like don't drink the kool-aid even though it mm -hmm. wasn't kool-aid it was uh it was flavor aid right because they were poor they couldn't afford uh, <laughs> uh kool-aid and um i mean that's also i think that's like in the news i think that's funny like the the we talked a little bit about that before like uh you know how that washington press guy didn't even know what cassava was <laughs> and i think it's the same thing going on here right like they can't tell the white populace about grape flavor aid because that's you know that's not what the white people drink you know they drink kool-aid so you can't talk you know you can't have that powerful of a symbol uh, by yeah. saying flavor aid like can you imagine the kind of like boardroom discussions that the the uh, kool-aid company had after that they were just like, mm -hmm. God damn it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we weren't even involved, man. Fuck. <laughs> and, you know, even if you go out saying that afterwards, it just makes it so much worse. People yeah. are going to be like, yeah, 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 whatever, brother. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, Although I mean, now everyone's so irony poisoned, Kool-Aid should just like lean into it. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Drinking whatever, you know, those all these experimental drugs that you can buy on the black uh, market these days i don't know if that's big in america but because you already have so many drugs so you don't need the experimental ones i guess i think but the I, uh, the hipsters do it oh okay yeah it's kind of the same thing here yeah i think it's like hipster stuff because they think it's safe because Research it comes from chemicals. a university or something yeah 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 oh ah. um i was gonna say marcus <laughs> real mm. quick too um yeah. so you know the serial killer henry lee lucas uh, Henry Lee Lucas, right? Yeah, you've yeah. talked about him, haven't you? Mm -hmm. He's the guy uh, that supposedly did confess to like 400 murders or something. But like, oh, yeah. you know, they were just closing out cases and it's not super clear how many people he killed. And he said he was in a satanic cult and so forth. Uh, if I remember, like, my reference now is going to be like so normy one, but uh, from Mindhunter, uh, the Mindhunter series, is he's the guy who there's like a bird that flies into a fan and just gets like whacked in the fan in one scene. I don't think that was him. No, I can, okay. I can just double check real quick though. Yeah. I'm trying to get a, like a face yeah, of the yeah. guy. No, that was Richard Speck, but I don't think, yeah, I don't think that Henry Lee Lucas was in Mindhunter uh, because okay. it would raise too many questions probably. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. And what, what's your theory about that, actually? Like, that they are shutting that show down uh, because uh, it was too critical of the FBI and stuff? No, I don't think it was very critical of the FBI. No, right? Like, it, it was kind of... I mean, that last episode in the, you know, if it turns out that, you know, everything that they have been de developing doesn't work, I, I can see, like, okay, maybe that is critical of the FBI, but at the same time, they didn't seem to want to use that method anyway. Wasn't it just, you know, the whole point of the series is that those two detectives want to use that profiling method. And then if it turns out that it doesn't work, that's not, you know, no harm to the FBI, right? That would just be harm to the... Yeah, well, I think it was... I mean, I could be wrong, but, like, I think that the show just got cancelled because, I don't know, Netflix is flaky because, like... People liked the show. I liked the show. Mm. Um, yeah, I thought it was good. And like they were depicting the two guys who were like, or, you know, the several people who were 
the biggest proponents of profiling working, you know, in real life. Like, mm-hmm. so yeah. I think that they were just like maybe partway through a plot line where they were going to like prove that it works because you remember they had all that stuff about the BTK killer and then presumably that would have been in the third season. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's where they left off the whole thing. So I think, I think they just like didn't get to do the natural amount of episodes they would have or something. Oh, I see. Mm-hmm. So like they okay. were sort of raising doubts and then they would like prove that profiling works like later on. That's my, I see. Yeah. But, yeah. That, yeah. I got the feeling as well that something like that. But I mean, as far as Henry Lucas, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to do an episode on him soon. Uh, some interesting stuff with that guy, but he's a crazy liar, first of all. Yeah, yeah, must be, right? We're 400 people. <laughs> this is being over the top, even for a serial killer. And he claimed, probably mm. just as a shit code, honestly, he claimed that yeah. he was the guy who delivered the cyanide to Jonestown. Uh, uh, that can't be. That can't be true. It's just like shut up. <laughs> it's not true. <laughs> yeah, 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 that can't be true because they did that over like months. They did mm-hmm. that. They because you know how they got it into uh, to Jonestown. It's really a strange one. How they uh, apparently you can get cyanide if you're like a registered jeweler or something because you can clean gold with it. Oh, yeah. So they did that. Like they did just the right amount. And this is another thing. You know how we talked about. Like that they, Jones had already done like one rehearsal back in Indiana before mm-hmm. he even went to, you know, uh, you know, Ukiah and like his whole first South America trip, um, which was just like a dozen of people or something. You know, it wasn't on anything close to the scale of, of what happened later. Um, but um, yeah, that, that took place over, you know, they were starting to import it even before Jones got to Jonestown, which, you know, again... I think it points at like how much of a project and how much planning went into this. But I also think it points to like, we've been focusing of course, a lot of on Jones in this episode, because, you know, we got to focus on something, but sometimes like, you know, we talked a little bit about the latents before and like, you know, how, how many other interesting people there are in this story and, uh, and how much of a team effort it must have been, you know, like uh, it, it, it can't just be, Jones all the time. And this is one of those things, you know, like how, how it must have been quite a project to get the cyanide into to Jonestown in small amounts every month, you know, over over years. Yeah. Uh, I mean, like, yeah. of course, cult dynamics are interesting, but like, you know, there was a significant core <laughs> leadership that did not mm. die, <laughs> that yeah, clearly yeah. saw things heading in the <laughs> suicidal, murderous direction. And you know, yeah. did not yeah. do anything. In fact, exacerbated and caused mm-hmm. it to get worse in every way. So, right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah okay. So, uh, yeah, I, we'll, we'll get back to that in a, in a short while. Um, oh, did you want to say something more about Henry uh, Lucas? No, there's not much more. That guy would just make all kinds of shit up. No. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah well, of course. That, that was his. Yeah, that was his. <laughs> that was his thing, right? I think he lied that <laughs> he got the sign. I got it. Uh, um, okay, so yeah, so Sinanon, um, yeah, we have this quote, right? Um, we have also um, them being uh, operating in this small part of San Francisco together, doing the rehab stuff. 
Um, and then also there is, um, I think, uh, yeah, well, first of all, Synon, Synonon leader uh, himself, right? Charles E. Ded Dederich, Dietrich, um, he was introduced to an LSD program at UCLA in 1957, which I, I tried to find out, like, who could that have been who introduced it to him? Mm. Uh, and I guess, in my opinion, the most probable candidate for an LSD doctor this early at UCLA should be Sidney Cohen, uh, who was, you know, attached professionally to UCLA and the Veterans Hospital in Los Angeles, which uh, with Veterans Hospital, it gets also a little bit interesting, right? Because then you have these kind of people who uh, have, you know, they can be, you know, veterans of all kinds of programs back in, in uh, Vietnam, and then you start giving them acid to I don't know you know <laughs> what, what mm -hmm. do they expect uh, to see happening uh, but uh, I don't know I didn't find so much on on Sidney Cohen like uh, I mean it's already interesting of course that uh, the founder of Synanon was also in an you know one of these LSD experiments at school um, but um, didn't find so much more about Sidney Cohen but before let's try to like you know I, sh I showed you that mind map of Synanon before, and you know, you said already, like, you know, that whole mind map, man mind map in itself is like another six hours of podcasting trying to work out all this connection to Synanon. Uh, but um, I I'll, I'll go through it like a little bit quickly, just so you get like, so the listener gets an, an overview uh, of, of what kind of uh, project this was. And so it starts in 1958, um, and and the whole point of Synanon is this kind of the game, right? Like the game is uh, like a harsh behavior modification technique, you know, screaming at people and, you know, breaking them down, you know, socially, verbal, verbally. We talked about it, you know, before uh, this kind of group peer pressure methods of uh, behavior modification. And... Um, First, it, it kind of morphs in then to something called Daytop, which was an anti-drug program with teen units um, that started in 1963. And then you have Phoenix House, which starts in 1967 with uh, about 100 sites in, in nine states, uh, including uh, residential academ academies for teens, uh, you know, academies within brackets. But, you know, they're trying to make like a whole little world, I think, for, the, for these kids, right? You know, it's like a boarding school, but you never go home and, and everything is on this place, right? Hogwarts, but instead of learning magic, you're learning how to be in a cult. <laughs> right. Hogwarts without the, uh, the potions and just acid and various <laughs> drugs. Oh fuck me! Yeah, <laughs> something like that. <laughs> and then there's Sidu, uh, 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 which was started in 1967. And yeah, and by the way, like these Hogwarts, they're all press until the present. You know, yeah, I've I, I've had 63 now to present, 67 to present, and now here again is 67, but to 2005. And so this was founded by a former Synanon member, but it got shut down, you know, because of allegations of uh, abuse. Then the um, uh, the Phoenix House or uh, Ancinanon becomes also the seed in 1970. We talked a little bit about that already before with the seedlings. 
And I think this is like one of the first big ones that got, you know, uh, fund, federal funding. And, uh, and I think it's also where we see, um, uh, we see, okay, so the, then the seed metamorphoses into straight ink six years later, 1976 to 1993. Uh, the seed continues parallel to that until 2001. And straight ink is where we get, you know, Nancy Reagan uh, hmm. involved, <laughs> you know, with her. I don't know she's the one like don't do it right or something like that like don't I don't I can't remember. what was her catchphrase she had like some big yeah. the thrill can kill the drug dealers need to know that we want them out of our schools neighborhoods and our lives and the only way to do that is to take the customers away from the product say no to drugs and say yes to life of course, your local drug pusher may tell you a little something different about these drugs. And who you believe is up to you. But then again, if you go ahead and try them, at least it won't be out of ignorance. Just stupidity. What would I do if someone offered me these drugs? I'd tell them to take a hike. Did you see that? Um, it was a really good documentary. I remember I watched it like in high school. It was like my first weed documentary uh, with, uh, what's his name? Owen Wilson? No. Uh, it was called Grass, and um, I can't remember now. Like he, he, he always does. He's kind of like goofy. He does like conspiracy films sometimes. Like oh, uh, Woody Harrelson. Woody Harrelson, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Woody Harrelson, yeah. He was the narrator of that one. And then there's like uh, there's some kind of like anti-drug uh, ad in the beginning where it's like, should you ever be confronted? with the temptation <laughs> of taking that very first puff of a marijuana cigarette. Don't do it. <laughs> it's just so, yeah, it's so, so we, on the nose. Did we talk about Woody Harrelson earlier? <laughs> I don't think so. Oh, okay. Do you know about his family history? No, no, I have no idea. I know nothing about him other than like, I. <laughs> some of my listeners were probably shouting, but his dad was like a bank robber. Oh, really? Wow. And his dad was legitimately like, um, probably not involved in the JFK assassination, but uh -huh. could have been. <laughs> okay. Yeah. He could have been one of the okay. three tramps, I think, um, in JFK. Uh, okay. And like, All right. he, his dad did a bunch of other stuff and people have speculated that maybe Woody Harrelson's like career could have been like, payment for some sort of services rendered or something either way his yeah. dad was like legitimately a bank robber it's freaking nuts yeah because doesn't also like uh, doesn't he uh, like would doesn't he have a little bit i mean i said he does conspiracy films like conspiracy themed films but isn't it often a li little bit in this kind of you know the stupid direction like the most stupid versions of of uh, of uh, ufo things and, and and mystery crops and i don't know like isn't he like kind of like half ironic uh, when it all comes to like conspiracy stuff? Yeah, I mean, he's been in a lot of really interesting stuff. And yeah, his dad freaking killed a federal judge in an assassination Whoa. hit. He was like a hitman that's too. Big. Wow. So, yeah, that, that's he, not small time stuff. I mean, people have speculated, you know, like your dad's a hitman for the mob. He killed a federal judge and then your kid becomes a uh movie actor he's like okay is that like payment <laughs> yeah 
Although people have been smoking marijuana for thousands of generations, the custom only reaches the United States in the beginning of the 1940s with the waves of Mexican right <laughs> looking for work so, yeah all right let's uh all right let's see where else we go here with synanon like and i you know trust me i have something you know more on synanon it's not just like a complete offshoot here monarch okay uh, all right i just write that down so i can look it up later i hope it doesn't appear here on my uh, uh mind map uh yeah, we'll see. We'll see if it comes up in the footnotes. Uh, all right. Uh, so the first one there uh, that I want, you know, the day top, this became the Elon school, uh, a main program uh, used, uh, which used boxing rings as uh, therapy. And once again, like this started in 1970 and it's ongoing <laughs> until today. Which is just like, <laughs> hey, get some CTE in the mix when you when you're doing your cult brainwashing. Yeah, yeah. And then like, you know, Roy Knorr or something where you just, you don't care. Like you can beat the other person to mush. There's <laughs> just, just no barriers left. <laughs> I don't know what you're doing. Uh, yeah. All right. So straight ink also becomes, you know, because this was shut down in 93, which is funny, you know, it's the first one where we have like high profile politicians like the Nancy Reagan. And this one gets, you know, most of these seems to be, you know, managing to keep it underground. But obviously, I guess with Nancy endorsing it, there was too many people, you know, looking into it, I guess. Mm -hmm. And so this was closed by abuse lawsuits in 93, but it had already become uh, Kids Inc, which was shut down in 98, uh, which paid out about 10 million in child abuse settlements as it shut down. And then it was also the other side was uh, Pathway Family Center, which was founded by a former uh, straight staff in uh, and in 93, then when they shut down and that one is still ongoing until today. And uh, of course, like with the Reagans and, and I think um, even the Bushes, uh, we have like a whole bunch of Christian programs that like teach this kind of tough love uh, with a religious bent. And uh, it includes New Horizons, Youth Ministries and Love in Action. Uh, which, you know, they used to uh, straight out uh, uh, gay teens, right? Cure them. Mm. <laughs> yeah, it's really dirty stuff. Uh, we also have like, you know, like on broader, you know, we also have a lot of boot camps uh, that came out of Synanon and these kind of teen boot camps. Uh, I think the f yeah, first teen boot camp had about 100 boot camps for young offenders which was launched in the 80s and the 90s. And we also have wilderness programs. Uh, the, the first wilderness program for troubled teens started in 1946, uh, several including Challenger, uh, and then there's Summit Quest, and North Star Expeditions. Uh, and they have closed, you know, because kids died on these fucking things. <laughs> yeah, I mean, what? Like, did they push them off cliffs and stuff? Like, you're not strong enough. <laughs> <laughs> you have to swim under this ice lake and get up on the other side of this hole. I didn't make it. Weak. <laughs> I don't know what they do. Um, yeah. And then, yeah, of course, behaviorist, uh, behaviorist programs uh, inspired in part by, you know, Skinnerian ideas. You know, that old doctor with the rats in the cage, cage right? Mm -hmm. And there we have uh, Rottenberg and 
Provo Canyon, which are, you know, they are state licensed uh, centers in Utah. Um, a lot of them in Utah. Right. Yeah, I would imagine it's kind of rural, right? And uh, uh, a lot of uh, religious fervor as well, I guess. Worldwide Association of Specialty Programs, started by former Provo Canyon staff, currently being sued for abuse by former residents, includes uh, Tran Tranquility Bay in Jamaica. You know, so yeah, with that last one, we see that they are also moving over to a more international scene. Now, um, okay, so now we have we have two connections, I guess, or like you know, we have two sides of the triangle trifecta right we have connection between van dusen and the uh, people's temple and we have connection between people's temple and synanon mm -hmm. now of course we need a connection between van dusen and synanon to you know <laughs> lock it all in right uh and i thought you know i that i because i never found that i only found like sydney cohen and I was so disappointed and I really wanted it. And then I was like, you know, Marcus, come on, like go in, you know, dive in one more time, you know, like do some smoke work. And uh, so the day before we did our first episode, I, uh, I did found something <laughs> and mm. I found something pretty damn good. <laughs> right. So in a photocopied, uh, photocopied transcript from a symposium uh on the use of group procedures in the prevention and treatment of drug and alcohol addiction from 1972 again the year when mendocino asylum is shut down and when mk ultra goes underground and the whole exodus of you know clinically insane people uh, starts moving towards the people's temple or at least it becomes inevitable uh, <sighs> i find our doctor holding a speech which includes the following and it's a long annoying speech like you remember how i said before about you know this we we, we mentioned the title of his paper minor space and uh <laughs> we and his whole attitude of you know being this kind of acid head who's like you know acid is the only real drug and you know all these other drugs are are bad for you but you know acid will change your life and and you know it will change the world blah 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 so there's a lot of that shit in uh, this speech but i cu cut together what I think was the most important parts for our purpose. All right, here we go. In general, if I had to assemble a real collection of people to go out and carry out the message and aid the world, I would not look to the universities or to professionals. My impression is that professional training dulls the perception and the capacity in dealing with others. It puts so much verbal garbage in the head that it takes a long time to get it all out. I wouldn't look to professionals. I would look to people who could do the thing well. We are getting into types of group processes and therapies in which we are teaching people things they can use to understand themselves. Psychodrama does that in part. Be behavior modification does it too. In behavior modification, we're teaching alcoholics to teach other alcoholics. It's breaking out of the professional conception of things. In the game, the experts, <laughs> who are usually not professionals, are showing the game to others. In part, we are helping the counterculture to be more useful to itself. The most fundamental approach to the motivated long-term user is a residential community. You cannot beat it. I have never seen anything as powerful as the residential community. 
I would see the residential community with the game as the most powerful tools we have. Partly the screening and partly the heaviness of the peers' pressure give it meaning. Studying the effectiveness of the family residential community in California, we found that its effectiveness dropped as it got lax. But if they got impossibly severe on people, effectiveness went up. Of the things that are effective, the only one that you have seen here is the game. And the game was designed basically by Synanon. When the game was really going on at Mendocino State Hospital, you could hear it about two blocks away. End of quote. (laughs) (laughs) We got him, man! (laughs) It's just like, yeah, I mean, who better knows pimping than a pimp? Who better knows how to be like an abuser than an abuser? It's just like... Yeah, I mean, you get a, a bunch of cult members. They best know how to continue the cult. Yeah, 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 for sure. Oh my sure. gosh. Yeah, so, yeah, that's... Uh, oh, man. Like, yeah, now can it's I, like... <laughs> can, I yeah. Just, can I just throw a random observation at you? Yeah, please, because I don't know what to think about that. <laughs> I just feel like I got Van Dusen, but I don't know what I have him for, you know? Like, yeah, I don't yeah, have a case. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so they call it the game, Synanon does, right? right? Yeah, and all yeah. of its different offshoots. Yeah, which Miller said that he was tired of, right? You remember yeah. the earthquakes uh, circular? Yeah, okay, sorry, <laughs> go on. No, no, no. Yeah. Um, so you know about the Finders cult? The Finders? No, I don't think so. In broad strokes, they were that group that was, like members of it were arrested with kids and they were just like, hey, what are you doing with all these kids? And they're like, taking them to mexico uh-huh. and it is a whole thing oh yeah 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 yeah. yeah, yeah you yeah. also talked about that before right mm-hmm. i think i think so yeah. um mm. they called it i mean they were like a relatively small cult or group yeah. or some, some operation or something uh yeah. but they called it the head was called the game caller <laughs> okay and oh. they would do like the game caller not the caller as in like around the neck, but the one who calls out what Correct. should be done in the game. Uh, and it's like, all right. from what little we know, it's not that they were yeah. necessarily doing the game as Synanon understands it, but like mm. the types of people that were in the Finders do seem to be like the types of people who would maybe graduate from the game or something. Just yeah, like yeah. Weirdos just yeah. doing Lord I mean, knows what. Right? I mean, this psychodrama, as they call it, you know, like, maybe they really did, you know, lock it down, you know, they did, they've, maybe they did what somehow MKUltra couldn't do, you know, because MKUltra is still on this kind of uh, petri dish stage, right? Like, they're either doing it in prison, which, which isn't a natural environment for human beings to be in, so they can't take all the results serious, or they're doing it, you know, uh, trialing people like under other very special conditions whereas this can take place in do- in 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 broad daylight right uh, among normal people uh or i mean the people who go there might not be normal but it's somehow you, normal pe- people could walk past outside mendocino state hospital for example you know like it's in an in a much more socially accepted environment yeah, and any weird behavior you might see can easily be explained by like, yeah, these people are, are in rehab or, you know. Right. Yes. Yeah, that, that that's my my whole take from this as well. 
right? Yeah. That you can get away with fucking anything as long as you say well, we're doing it because we're, you know, this is drug rehabilitation. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I and mean, then, when you pair yeah. all the other techniques on top of this, like social residential system, then mm -hmm. it's like if all of those techniques only work half the time, but you combine them and add on this social residential factor, why I bet mm -hmm. you could get it to work, right? For sure. I mean, they can't get away, right? Like they have to stay until it works, basically. I mean, you know, like with the Japanese episodes, like with Tenko, you know, like that, you know, works. And that how mm -hmm. different is mm -hmm. Sinanon really from that? basically right yeah and they weren't even doing drugs and like electroshock yeah. or anything that was just pure social pressure and beatings yeah and i think you know we, you know it goes back to what we were talking about earlier like with uh, why jones was so interested in language and you know why they find that uh, that small commune in ukiah that had um, this uh, you know their own jargon and stuff mm. and uh because I think, you know, people often think like when they hear like, you know, psychoanalytical theories about how we are subjects of language and, and basically nothing else. And like that, that is that is the primacy. Um, they kind of I think most people think, you know, no, like language is a tool which I use. And I, you know, OK, fine. You know, that might be the case. But I think, you know, it goes the other way around as well. You know, you are something that language make use of. And so if somebody, you know, changes the way you use language, they change the way you think. Like, the, I think I even, like, on the most, how to say, on the most controversial or, like, you know, on the most extreme level, um, I think there are no thoughts without language. I don't think that there is some kind of, uh, uh, you know, pre-language cognition that can be called language, uh, can be called thought. Like that's something else, I think, you know, it's something aching to instinct or, you know, it's some, something aching to something much less social. And and um, I think un unless you are uh, somehow uh, within the symbolic order, uh, a subject of language, there will not be thought. And so this is, I guess, you know, I mean, they're all aiming at this in some way or another, you know, all those... Uh, you know, the cybernetics and, and those things that, you know, those fields that we we're talking about earlier, you know, they are aiming at this kind of the manipulation of language to see what happens with people, you know, like what happens yeah. with the thinking and stuff when, when well, you get a, No, it's it. for sure true because like they take, you know, feral children and then they like, mm -hmm. even when they, you know, teach them language or don't, you know, they test them mm -hmm. and they're functionally retarded in terms yeah. of like, you know, they just don't have the ability to do cognition as good if they're right. just not raised with that language. Like you, yeah. you're right. You know? Like, yeah, uh, that doesn't surprise me for sure. Like, I mean, I think even one way to define autism or radical autism is a complete, uh, you know, um, mm. a complete foreclosure of of the symbolic order. You know, like you you you're you only have access to the imaginary register. And there's just no way of of uh, organizing anything uh, within the symbolic order, and so yeah, I mean, yeah, there's something, you know, there's there's definitely something to the to Jones's interest in language, like both also with the Alleluia shamans and this kind of you know mantras and the way he speaks, and uh, you know hypnotic induction and the way you can make people you know 
really cling to certain words and 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 and, and create new value structures uh, within a community. You know, like that doesn't make sense to anybody else. You know, like they might look the same and on the surface they talk about the same thing, but when it really gets going and that those things that you know really motivates them and really you know makes them get to work as it were mm. uh those are things that nobody else can understand you know like the the there's there is just not the same amount of libidinal investment like there's not the same emotional charge in the things that this community think is important and what other people think is important and yeah. so yeah right and i mean this is the jones psychodrama right like and we know, yeah, we already said, you know, that he's been doing this kind of uh, white night uh, program, white night rehearsals ever since Indiana, in one way or another. And uh, I, I think I also mentioned, you know, the his uh, thing about nuclear war, you know, that he mentions on no fewer than 40 tapes uh, in the final year in Jonestown. And uh, I think the first mention, I have one note here, like, the first mention that and that I've tried to f- you know could find is in uh, May 9th, 1976, where he says uh, the day is coming when I'm going to issue an order that will shock you. And 1976 here, May 9th, this is also the year that they start to import cyanide to Jonestown, uh, which you know in the mm-hmm. way that I described it earlier, and it is also the year uh, when the lease which has been pending since 1974, it's finally approved by the Guyanese government. And, you know, again, Jones will not arrive until 1977. And uh, so, yeah, we can see how, how, like, you know, this psychodrama, this project, this program, White Knight, is, 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 uh, it's planned, right? Like, it's not just something that happened once. Uh, little by little, people were, you know, made used to it. <laughs> Like, you, you, I mean, of course, they, I think most didn't know what was going to happen the last time, you know, because they done it even in, uh, uh, they, di- they did it, uh, I think, in the beginning of, in February in 1977, um, no, 78, sorry. They do one, like a full, uh, like a full rehearsal with the liquid to be drunk and everything, you know, and some people faking death, going out to the field, pretending to be dead and stuff and some people not being in on the whole thing wondering you know is this you know is this just the 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 highest level of the game or or you know is this uh, is this real and you know i have to prove my loyalty or i'm going to be you know humiliated and and you know put on stage in the struggle sessions for the rest of you know the year or i'm going to get uh, um work punishment i'm going to be sent to you know um the new brigade which is something i guess is it's linking up to what we're going towards with the red brigade but yeah some kind of uh, you know they had like a work punishment system in place you know that had to do all the worst things uh like cleaning the latrines and the toilets and stuff i guess and you know digging ditches and just i guess sometimes just useless work just to keep them occupied all the time you know with god no like this this stuff reminds me like you know i feel like we're always talking sort of online about like oh predictive programming is that is it real like do Mm -hmm. they like put in media certain plot lines that they are going to do in the future you know you know Mm -hmm. like 
and a lot of it sounds kind of schizophrenic but like yeah <laughs> i mean what is jonestown but like or you know the people's temple but like literally seeding the idea for a mass suicide mm-hmm. or a mass casualty event at least yeah and uh you know a lot of these people are probably schizophrenic and if they weren't before they came to jonestown they seem to have known how to make them more schizophrenic and more psychotic i mean fuck at one time they stay up six days in a row i mean they you don't do that without you know speed or something you know you need you know and, and like three days without sleep is enough to to induce psychosis these people are staying up six nights and they're not just staying up to see what happens they're staying up because jones is saying that you know they're going to be invaded unless yeah. they you know defend the, the the place and so i mean yeah even if it sounds you know schizophrenic under our relatively more normal circumstances uh from you know watching tv from home or whatever here the conditions are you know at least schizophrenic and isolated and extreme in all ways you know undernourished uh i mean everything just it is the perfect condition again to 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 be performing an experiment of seeding the idea of of something like yeah. project white knight like the freaking uh stanford prison experiment but like to the next level basically yeah yeah right um yeah i think like i i mean probably we're just gonna be seeing more and more of these things like i mean i I guess if I look into this, the, the mind map of Synanon that we talked about earlier, like you'll start to see more and more of these patterns of like, what is the current level of, of, uh, this kind of group programming, you know, like how, what, what are the essential parts, uh, of, of making sure that, you know, that your experiment goes the way you want it to, or that it, you know, fucks up in somehow similar to the way that you wanted to. Yeah. Well, to, no, to fuck it's. Up you're right i think this is going to become a thing for various reasons but first and foremost because like everybody's looking to like silicon valley and like the tech world as some sort of like Mm. model for like how businesses should run and then right silicon valley is filled with literal cults posing as professional trainings and um life coaches and there are these different groups that are modern day versions of the people's temple basically mm-hmm. and they... yeah, with, a, with a technical niche or yeah, yeah. Like that and, or a veneer yeah. or whatever so nexium of course is the most obvious one but there's a bunch that are like not super well known yet mm-hmm. and yeah. uh and so like when you get stuff like oh you you know working at a startup you just work all day and it's just like yeah those people yeah. are in cults they are literally yeah. Culture. you shouldn't work all day no yeah. one should like no <laughs> and you shouldn't like work in a place where like there's it seems like the overall you know ideological goal seems to be some kind of merging of all minds like into <laughs> yeah. you know like what <laughs> that you take away all the fancy you know questions of, of whether that's possible technologically you're still left with a pretty stupid idea like why would you want to do that even if you could like just because you can doesn't mean that that's the you know inevitable end terminal object of technological progress like what's wrong with you there are so many other things so, you can get, get up so to. many weird built-in assumptions to that yeah yeah 
have you seen by the way like you remember like wow like at least a half a year back we talked a little bit about um what was it like we were uh, yeah we were saying that there was like a connection between uh ike and uh, and the osho foundation uh like not like not david oak yeah david ike like they're, they're mm-hmm. not like a literal connection in the sense of i mean there probably is but like but in the general sense of this kind of uh you know the ideological framework of, of that you know david ike has uh it seems to fit like the people who go like i've met a lot of like osho people who really like that and we talked about that like half a year ago reminds me with osho what what is that again uh osho is like you know that guy uh where did they go was it utah they had some uh, big uh, commune in the 80s and the 90s in uh, in america um what was his full name like he was like an indian yogic and they were all wearing red and they had like weapons uh, well they didn't all have re- weapons but uh yeah 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 the wild wild country guy yeah yeah, yeah. that's right that's right yeah 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 uh, and I you remember, like, the image you get in the wild, wild country doesn't seem to fit, you know, what we just talked about with, uh, you know, the people in uh, uh, in Silicon Valley and everything, you know, because it's too primitive and it's too rural. But have you seen the turn that Osho has taken recently? Mm-hmm. If you go to goosho.com and look at, you know, what it, the main gate looks like okay. and, and, you know, tell me that, that does that not look like, you know, some startup, fancy, nice silicon valley place but <laughs> with only cult members okay yeah i mean they're all wearing <laughs> red but it very much just looks like a corporate headquarters yeah right and, but like a <laughs> nice fancy one like it's google or something. yeah yeah Good yeah, yeah like soup it's got like it's, you know it's cutting edge in every respect it and looks like scrolling down then there's all the apps the podcast the yeah yeah digital tarot deck the right ted talks the shop mm-hmm. good Lord. yeah yeah i i mean what like it's really like my me and my cousin was talking about that the other day because i had some friend who was like a kind of like a hippie guy who i worked with and then one day when he came to to work he had uh, like one of these uh huel or or soylent drinks you know like these kind of like yeah that bullshit <laughs> yeah, I was like, how did they manage to get, you know, a supposed like ecological hippie guy who wants to like, you know, grow cannabis and cares a lot about like organic food and stuff? How did they manage to get him to start thinking that, you know, drinking Huel or, or, or Soylent is a cool thing, you know, because Soylent is also like a Silicon Valley thing, right? Yeah. And so, uh, so I, you know, and my cousin was just like, you know, they, they're just experimenting, you know, like, they, oh, over here we have the, the ecological hippie. And here we have the tech startup guy. Can we see if we can make a merch of these two people? And then it's just like, <laughs> oh, yes, we have a new identity here. And then, I don't know, you know, <laughs> it's so like weird, like the, the kind of, yeah, combinations that you can have. And I mean, just looking at this Osho thing, it's like they look like they should be on a farm somewhere in India, uh, like, you know, like tending to cows and plows. But at the same time, it's in the setting of, yeah, once again, like the cutting edge Silicon Valley startup corporation.
Yeah. Uh, okay, well, if we go back to Jonestown and like, let's touch upon the last thing that we have, I guess, um, which is, you know, when you asked me in the beginning, uh, like, what's, uh, you know, what's the least known part of this whole story? Or uh, I can't remember what, what you said. Or like, what, what like, do we not know? You know, what do we yeah. know that we don't know? Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. That uh, third or fourth category, right, of uh, Rumsfeld. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> not trying to quote Rumsfeld directly, but I mean, it's a good framework, I guess. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, Rumsfeld didn't invent it, right? It's kind of platonic yeah. in its original sense. Um, right. So, well, and I answered, yeah, probably the Red Brigade guards, right? Uh, which is, you know, basically. I mean, they're essential, definitely. We were talking about like, what are the essential parts to make something like this happen? And you definitely needed these guards, you know, who stood around the, uh, the major complex in Jonestown, making sure that nobody left when they were doing this kind of uh, uh, white night rehearsals, right? Yeah. They would, let, you know. Let me ask you, Marcus, because yeah. I know you've <laughs> been deep in the archives. Yeah. Uh, with the Red Brigades of the People's Temple, yeah. Do they have any swag? Did they have uniforms or <laughs> were they just like, because uh, yeah. that's like a crucial element if you're aping like Maoism or something. I know, I know, I know. Yeah, they, there's a lot of picture, pictures of Jones wearing the, uh, they've got like the ones, if, 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 it's gonna, if I was going to make like a, like a swag connection, it would probably be the, um, uh, the Mindanao guerrilla in the Philippines. Kind of, mm. you know, peasant outfits, but with a black Maoist cap and the red star on it. Interesting. That's the closest image that I managed to. Uh, and there's a lot of pictures of Jones wearing that. That seems to that seems to fit like a jungle vibe, right? That's what yeah. I thought too. You know, like, and it also okay. has this kind of, you know, readily, you know, not fresh off the boat, but you know, fresh from the farm recruits, kind of. Yeah, and, and we, you know, we don't really have the funds to to give you a full uniform, but here's a cap at least. Because I mean, like Jones had huge swag. That was a crucial yeah. component for like his image. Yeah, definitely. He's wearing like a Mao jacket also on some pictures later there in, in Jones in town, and uh, I mean oh, his really? glasses are pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I don't, yeah, definitely he's got swag for sure. Like even like when he's wearing, you know, his. Uh, he even manages to do the whole like radical priest outfit. I think pretty good, mm. you know, with the sideburns, the the brills, the, the glasses, like an evil Elvis. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, like an evil Elvis priest, <laughs> mm -hmm. which is yeah, well weird. Um, yeah, so uh... <laughs> or maybe Elvis is the good Jim Jones. <laughs> maybe yeah they did they did have a pretty good music scene as well in Jonestown mm -hmm. uh, you know the band was pretty good and uh, yeah and I mean I don't want to like shit on the on the rebels from the Mindanao you know like they're they, they, as you say they have definitely they definitely have swag full support <laughs> yeah full support <laughs> unconditional um and uh uh, right, so I mean, but yeah, the Red Brigade guards in Jonestown weren't really, you know, an exact copy of the the Mindanao farmers um, or the peasantry. Uh, so you know, trying to find out who they are, we kind of like 
Okay, so like first, a few things that that I picked up like from various sources were uh, like things that we really do know. Like before I go on to like make some kind of contextual, you know, setting other than the swag, uh, survivors have, have alleged that there were about sixty to seven people in the hmm. uh, in the Red Br- Brigade Guard. Um, so what is that like roughly ten percent ish? Ten percent something, but. In talking about percents, one thing that changes, though, is that about 22 of them survived the final white night, which means about a third. Mm, And that that. is definitely not the percentage of, uh, you know, the the regular uh, majority. Yeah. And uh, and another pretty awkward or like, I mean, sinister thing is that majority of them are in the ages between 16 to 25. And, you know, which means that many of them have lived the majority of their adult lives within the temple. Oof, that's bleak. Yeah, that's bleak, right? 16-year-old man. Like, that's that's a child that's a child soldier. Oh, that's uh, a good... That's an interesting way to think about it. Yeah, right, right. And and I that and I, and I followed that I followed that lead later to see if there was some uh, uh, good, con, you know, contextual uh, backup for that. Um, is that mostly... Is that mostly men? Uh, I think so. Yeah, that that would make sense. I didn't actually. That's a good. I didn't use my feminist side of the brain when I was looking through the statistics, but I would imagine that uh, all the ones I can remember, like uh, the names of, like who are called out in various uh, uh, tape recordings, like for being harassed, because Jones seems to have a pretty like ambivalent relationship to the Red Brigade. You know, like at times he's just you know calling them out, singling them out, uh, and then harassing them during like, you know, struggle sessions, which maybe it's not ambivalent if you want to like, you know, you know, these are the elite, so they're going to get the um, the most severe, uh, at, you know, they're going to, you know, be suffering under the most severe aspects of the psychodrama and the game, you know, I mean, they, they do that in the military, like in any military, right, they break people down, you know, with with harassment mm-hmm. and stuff. So, you know, maybe it's not that ambivalent at all. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so the ones I remember by name, they're all, yeah, male. I can't remember coming across a single uh, woman. Uh, and, uh, yeah, one man who was allegedly part also of the SLA uh, was Chris Lewis, who had been, yeah, in the in the People's Temple Rehab program. And he actually mm-hmm. shot another member in front of the whole community back in San Francisco. And... Uh, yeah, he was a uh, he was part of the Red Brigade. Interesting. From one op to another. Yeah, and uh, yeah, back in San Francisco, uh, you know, people at the university were, you know, the, the those of university age, uh, they they were often said to be, you know, training like a gorilla. I'm thinking like kind of Maoist style. Like, have you seen that? There's a pretty good uh, um, Jean Luc Godard film called. Uh, uh, the Maoist? No, the Chinese. Have you seen that one? It's uh, kind of like experimental. Yeah, yeah, I've seen it. Yeah, and and they do like some training, like on a balcony and stuff. You know, they have this very <laughs> specific, uh, special kind of uh, exercise thing. So I'm, I'm guessing, you know, that there was something like that. I, they couldn't running around with weapons. Is what I'm thinking. Like on the university, and like you know, maybe they did it. You know, some places. I mean, you are, after all, you are allowed to have uh, weapons in public, right? In in America. To some degree, yeah. 
So uh, yeah, but it's hard to find like you know more information, especially you know you know really what they were getting up to in San Francisco when they were doing this kind of training. But it seems to be like a pretty common rumor. Um, they're supposed to have an have had an explosives committee. We talked about you know before, <laughs> yeah, which I mean yeah, it's pretty hardcore. Uh, they uh, yeah, there's one tape where Jones is like harassing them for being like Trotskites, uh, Trotskites <laughs> because uh, they picked like the wrong target. They want to blow up like a masonite factory or something, and I don't know like masonite factory. That's like you make concrete right at the masonite factory. Um, or what does a masonite factory do? I'm not sure. What is it? Uh, masonite. Yeah, that's what he says. Maybe he like just slurring. Yeah, um, I, I just thought that meant like a uh, like a concrete cement cement factory or something. Yeah, let me see. I guess it's like a type of hardwood. Interesting. Oh, okay. Oh, so sort of like maybe a. Oh yeah, I'm seeing sort of like a plywood looking thing. Oh, all right. Interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, and and okay, that makes more sense than why. I mean, at least to my rudimentary knowledge of how to perform guerrilla warfare, uh, <laughs> it just seems that Jones is on. You know, he, there's something. You know, truth. There's some truth to what Jones is saying. That you know, that's a stupid target if you're gonna <laughs> do it. You know, but then they're also saying talking about blowing up a dam, which that sounds like pretty good target to me. I suppose it depends on your goals, but certainly a yeah more re like I would understand why that would be a target. I don't know why. Yeah, right. Like a factory would be. I I think also like there's you know gotta remember the the complexity of the um, of the state of the world at this time and where you know Forbes Burnham is officially standing. You know, like if they're gonna do that in Guyana. Because let's say that they are Trotskites, or or even if they're Maoist and they consider, you know, Burnham a Soviet supporter, uh, you know, like there are all these kind of, you know, infighting that's going on, and it's not clear, you know, where does Jones stand in this kind of infighting, and where does the Red Brigade stand, and, and things like that. So I I feel like it's so funny because it's like Jones, Jim Jones, shit coding, hating on Trotskyites. Which is something close to my heart. <laughs> Even him. <laughs> it's like there's nobody in this world who doesn't have a problem with Trotskis. <laughs> Even Jim Jones is like, that's the worst insult. <laughs> Fucking trot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, well, yeah. So that's yeah, just a, a tad bit of information. And yeah, all right. So in this part, there's a lot of like in my notes uh, things from uh, a guy called Meiser. Who wrote a book uh, called uh, "Was CIA uh, No yeah, Was Jonestown a CIA Medical Experiment"? <laughs> Hot damn! What a title! Yeah, <laughs> it's pretty, pretty f full frontal. Um, but um, it's a pretty, you know, legitimate uh, publishing company that has given out the book. Uh, who has also given out other, you know, more well-respected books about Jonestown. I think even Rebecca Moore's first publishing. Uh, one of the founders of the Jonestown Education Center. I think her first book was published by them as well. I can't really remember, but I think, you know, nonetheless, like it's a pretty well-respected publishing company, it seems like. Um, but I've, I've seen that like even other, you know, people who have 
let's say more you know alternative theories that you know we would agree with like people like uh uh Holzing, uh hogan for example like some people seem to say that you know miser's book is a kind of uh yeah yeah your the, the quote quote you use right it was a, a limited hangout like kind of uh he seems to be adding a lot of things that aren't true to make the true things sound like they are also untrue interesting it's that seems you know like and, and i and i you know i got that feeling as well from reading the book because like the whole book just starts off with like you know the uh, like the ss um, eugenics program in in nazi germany and how they were like you know himmler's uh, project of how to breed you know the perfect uh, uh, ubermensch and stuff like that and it's like kind of outlandish stuff i mean they all happened you know to one degree uh, but you know how much of a connection it has to Jonestown. I don't really, I don't. Yeah. I never really. I never got convinced. Because like, uh, yeah, everybody loves to talk about Nazis, but like, yeah, the Nazis aren't yeah. that connected to most things, you know. Yeah. So like, trying to shoehorn it in, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's setting you know the vibe to start off the first chapter with something like that because you know when you start looking into the weird things that the Nazis did. Well, you're just gonna have to start understanding that there's a lot of weird things going on in this world. So if you know if anything of what I'm about to write about sounds too strange, stranger stranger things even happened already, which we have you know proof of. So I'm I, I'm guessing that's kind of his strategy. Hmm. And then also the title almost frames it maybe in the wrong direction because it's like, mm-hmm. what what what's the title again? Was it a was Jonestown a CIA medical experiment? I think something like that. And it's like, why you got to have the word medical in there? It's like, was it just yeah. an experiment? <laughs> There's probably mm-hmm. a lot of angles rather than just the medical. Right. Yeah. Uh, I don't think we ever said that, though. Did, did, um, you know, that uh, the actual name of uh, Jonestown was, uh, it wasn't just uh, uh, Jonestown people. Um, People's Temple Agricultural Project, which is sometimes, you know, you see it on Wikipedia, for example, mm-hmm. and in a lot of books where they want to be like, oh, uh, uh, you know, Jonestown was the unofficial name. The official name was People's Temple Agricultural Project. But then I sent you that book, right, where it says, you know, the actual post address that they had, you know, in Guyana, the name under which they were registered. It's not just People's Temple Agricultural Project. It's People's Temple Agricultural and medical project mm. yeah yeah which you know again you know they w- did have a lot of drugs over there uh, i i mean i agree with you that it's stupid uh, the title to frame it like that because i i've never i never really wanted to emphasize the the drugs part about this either because i think again like you said you know with the um uh with the you know the operation that they had in japan when they were converting the uh, the communists to the japanese fascism they didn't need to seem to need any uh, drugs you know and and i think that seems to be also you know when back to your episode on the uh you know the street revival episode you know this is why the cia seems to be so interested in this whole thing as well you know that uh, whatever shortcomings they might have come into with only using drugs they seem to think you know oh but here is here are people you know sober people willingly getting drunk on on god like in their uh in their cults and or in their bigger communities you know like maybe this is a more 
uh, fertile ground for investigation if we want to do, you know, to trying to lock down what this whole behavior media, the uh, yeah, behavior modification thing is supposed to be about, you know. Hmm. But still, it is really interesting that that is the actual name of the community and that there was was a lot of drugs there. But uh, yeah, maybe okay. Like, what else about like the the Red Brigade then? Like, uh, because you know, either way, they are needed, and that's why we're talking about them. You know, because you need them to also to kind of make you know Jones look like the good guy. I think you know, like sometimes mm. you know you have these people standing around waiting with weapons. There is an unarmed Jim Jones, you know, in the middle uh, of the whole thing. Uh, and you know he's the father who can you know protect you against them as well. Um, so yeah, even on the FBI list of shooters, you know, because we shouldn't forget that the people who do the you know the shooting at the, the airstrip, which sets off the whole thing, you know, like which you know triggers the the program White Knight that you know, Jones uses to why they have to gather and why they have to do this is because. Well, basically, the Red Brigade shot down, you know, a U.S. congressman on the airport together with, you know, some journalists, which mm-hmm. means that basically they have now become international terrorists. And everything that Jones, you know, have been uh, talking about for the last six or eight years now, you know, maybe it was his paranoia before. Now it will be tr- True, you know, now the, the CIA is going to get involved if they weren't involved before. And now, you know, there's going to be some people coming here, you know, with weapons and they're going to try to break this, you know, community apart. And, you know, what is, do you think is going to happen to you when you come back to the US? You know, you're going to be put in prison and you're going to be experimented upon. Or, mm-hmm. you know, if you're a senior, you're going to go back into the senior homes, which we freed you from you know, uh, or in the hospitals or in the institutions, you know, all these places that you ran away from, you're going to get back, go back into them. And they're going to be interested in to know, uh, they're going to be interested in knowing why you were a part of a group that, you know, an international terrorist group that shot a US congressman. That's going to be, uh, so yeah, Jones, you know, has, he has his case now in a way. And uh, yeah, so the, the, even here on the F, you know the FBI list of those shooters, there is also a 16-year-old 16-year-old involved in the shooting, uh, Ronnie Dennis, uh, and another one at 20, you know 19, 23, 23, 24. Uh, the oldest one is 33. I guess some kind of officer then maybe or something. I don't know. You know, it's hard to know what is the structure of this uh, group. Yeah. Uh, but but uh, you know, the fact that a 16-year-old was you know involved in shooting uh, a congressman and and also like there is a lady you know we're talking about the swag before there's a lady like on the Jonestown Education Center who uh, quotes um, some ex marine or like some ex not ex marine maybe more special forces person uh, I don't know Green Brett or Navy Seals or whatever uh, and and supposedly he says that when he was looking at the videos of uh, the shooting at the airport, he said, you know, that they were pretty well trained. You know, they had this kind of uh, diamond formation. I don't again, I don't know much about, you know, yeah, being, you know, green beret tax- tactics and stuff. But he, basically, he said that they looked pretty well trained and, you know, they go in after shooting 
uh, with you know AR rifles from a distance. They go in and kind of mop up the whole thing with shotguns and stuff, and, and they leave some people. Um, and yeah, the, the whole thing seemed pretty you know executed to think that, which you know leads room for speculation as to how well trained were these people and who trained them, etc. And uh, you know, so if I was here to go into like a more contextual thing then you know to be able to answer some of those questions maybe or like to get a you know to get some kind of image in 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 one's head about who and what this gorilla was well we saw right earlier that uh the branhamites um of the latter rain you know they've been setting up extremist and time communes uh all over the world, basically, in connection with uh, Juntas and their death squads, and also US intelligence. Uh, and we also know, you know, that Jones' uh, best, you know, new best friend, Pastor, the one he meets in Brazil, uh, also came from a similar similar background, you know, that of the uh, Assembly of God Church, right, who was engaged in uh, funneling uh, uh, money in Liberia to uh, yeah, to that, you know, the first private mercenary. We talked a little bit about that before. Mm -hmm. All that stuff that uh, Dimitri of Subliminal Jihad is working on, too. Ah, okay, nice. Yeah, <laughs> I have to have to look into that for sure. I have I've missed out on that. And, you know, of course, you know, in this connection, we can't, you know, fail to mention, you know, that that is actually exactly what uh, Mitrion was doing as well, right? In Brazil mm -hmm. and, and Paraguay, as I remember, that's where he gets killed by some other guerrilla right there he gets captured by a by some maoist guerrilla the tupamaros that right yes yes uh <laughs> when they did a good job they just shot the guy right again critical support <laughs> yeah yeah that's how you do it man <laughs> you do not deserve to be on this planet <laughs> oh shit and i'm so like how did they you know <laughs> Imagine that, right? Like when you caught him and you're finding out like little by little who this guy is, like who did you actually catch? And you, you know, like it's, it's this, yeah. Have you seen the movie uh, State of Siege? Uh, is it like a Costa Gavras? Or... Yeah, Costa Gavras did it. And he, they basically show, I mean, it's lightly fictionalized, but like largely corresponds with the real events. Okay. It's such a good freaking movie. You you gotta see it. Oh yeah. All right, all right. It's why well, it's about Mitrioni specifically, or what? Yeah, yeah. It's like a lightly fictionalized version, but yeah. Okay, that's well cool. Yeah, I, I remember I saw this. Uh, he has another one uh, about some spy thing in Czechoslovakia. I can't remember. Like it's one of his my favorite films with him. Uh, what's it called again? Something. It has like a noose on the. Uh, I, it's got a lot of good stuff. I don't remember the, but no, he's like one of the best to ever do it. That director. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. No, he's cool. Uh, I like him a lot. He's got, because he also like, I don't know, especially that spy film, he has this nice, you know, it's more like reading a book about, uh, you know, it's, it doesn't have like any of the James Bond speed in it. You know, it's got this more like, yeah uh you know investig investigative aspect to it and you know like a kind of more slow paced more more the social interaction and character building and yeah like spy movies spy movies should be more like 
detective thrillers that like there should not be like shootouts right in a good spy yeah, movie right? it should be like boring half the time <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I wanted to say boring, but you know that mm. Costa Gavras can be seen as boring, but would uh, be boring. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, right. So, um, okay. So you know, you said yourself already, right? Like, mm. uh, interesting that that there are kids, basically child soldiers in this gorilla. Yeah. And you know, I also thought, you know, that is interesting. As soon as I thought that, like, uh, you know, that you know, that is the way to frame this. I started to think about something that I knew, you know, had known before, which is that, you know, Jones often claimed to be a friend of Idi Amin in Uganda. Mm, which it's just like, oh, yeah, a real communist, isn't he? Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. <sure>. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, and it also strange because uh, Idi Amin was a Muslim, right? Uh, he wasn't, um, he wasn't like a Pentecostalist or anything. Uh, which, you know, makes the connection, I guess, at first kind of, you know, hard to make between the Branhamites and the Pentecostalist. But, um, you know, uh, we do have some latter rain presence, uh, which was strong. Uh, you know, it's very strong today, but it was, a, a, you know, I think let's not say latter rain specifically, there in the beginning of the 70s, though I'm pretty sure that they were there. Um, but there was a Pentecostalist uh, presence and an evangelist presence, of course, which kind of had to, you know, operate more underground when Idi Amin came to power because he didn't really like them. Um, as, uh, you know, <laughs> credits to him, to be honest, for, for <laughs> realizing that, that, you know, they aren't just, again, they aren't just there to to hand out Bibles. You don't gotta hand it to Idi Amin, but... Okay. <laughs> I am you! <laughs> this is like, what, what does he say? Like, in, it's so good in the... It's Last King of Scotland, right? Oh, Where yeah, I like, freaking love that movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I am you! <laughs> and it's like, no, <laughs> please don't say that. <laughs> I thought I was I. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, yeah. Uh, right, so I mean, when they go underground, the Pentecostalists in uh, Uganda in the 70s under Idi Amin, we have two really interesting groups that starts to form. And, you know, check out the names of these two groups, right? It's the, the Holy Sp uh, Spirit Movement and the Holy Spirit Mobile Force of Alice Auma, which in the 80s then later inspired the Lord's Resistance Army of uh, Joseph Connie. Hot damn. Yeah! <laughs> Who has been nicknamed Africa's David Koresh. Uh, you know, the Waco guy, right? Yeah. Uh, I know you know, but yeah, the, the mm -hmm. listen, some listener maybe don't, can't picture him immediately. Um, which, you know, both, all of these are, you know, these kind of Protestant uh, or Pentecostalist apocalyptic guerrilla groups, which uh, at least the Lord's Resistance Army we have on paper abducted more than 30,000 boys and girls as soldiers or sex slaves, or both. And at the height of the LRA's activity, children made up approximately 90% of its personnel. Um, which, you know, that just, that's too much to think about in a way. And um, uh, this Alice Auma, she was also implicated in child trafficking uh, in November 2004, uh, in connection with some of these Pentecostalist um, 
camp, like a refugee camp in Kenya, uh, which, you know, it's just, it's the dirtiest stuff that, you know, happens on this planet. Like when they, you know, they take these people who are like fleeing wars and conflicts that, you know, it's pretty obvious that they did it, right? You know, that they are there influencing these people because, you know, there has never been a Holy Spirit movement in Uganda before. The Pentecostalists starts showing up, goes underground, and then now of, all of a sudden, you know, there's a Lord's Resistance Army fighting the Muslim leader, yeah. which, you know, it doesn't take, you know, there's got to be some connection there, it seems like. And um, the connection that, you know, we have with the latter rain, for sure, is that today, and since the last 20, 30 years, they have been the foremost propagandists uh, to show that this guy, this guy uh, Joseph Connie, the Lord of the Lord's Resistance Army, they've been trying to, you know, um, with their strategic level spiritual warfare, they are teaching people how they can pray for his, you know, failure and like how pray for his destruction and pray for uh, how they can defend their family against his uh, voodoo magic or his, uh, you know, dark, uh, dark magic. And even like, I think new, I saw, I think it was the New York Times have repeated some of the things that, you know, this, uh, uh, the Lateran uh, people in Uganda, uh, some of the claims that they have made about Joseph Connie, you know, and I guess, you know, the New York Times just does it for the sensationalism, right? Like that it's cool to have like some kind of voodoo leader of, uh, you know, uh, a child soldier's army. Uh, it's it's just they. I don't think they believe in that on the level of you know strategic level spiritual warfare. But I don't know. Maybe maybe, maybe the New York Times has some kind of you know columnist who is also a Brandonite. Could be <laughs> <laughs> crypto Brandon. <laughs> yeah, it's like the most liberal atheist newspaper, right? Like I don't know. That's my image at least of uh, the New York Times. This kind of. Uh, yeah, down to earth liberalism, right? Isn't that kind of what the what their jargon is? Yeah, certainly, then, like <laughs> sort of like a urbane cosmopolitan. And if yeah, any right. of them are like have a faith, it's usually either like Catholicism or Judaism or some bloodless Presbyterian bullshit. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. So, so it'd be really funny if like there was some strategic level spiritual warfare guy there who like literally believes that iconoclasm is the only way you can protect your children from like being possessed yeah uh, <laughs> or would they would certainly be invested in making africa seem like they're into that stuff yeah yeah yeah, yeah. no that so that you know that's my that's my you know understanding as to why they would you know uh repeat what these people are saying because the there's something called the transformation i think which is like a dvd VHS, I mean, it goes back all the way to the VHS days of uh, the latter rain, which are like, you know, basically their instructions for how to, pe you know, people can fight this guy, Joseph Connie. And so they're making a lot of money from, you know, the scaremongering around Joseph Connie. And oh, it's yeah. not just, yeah. And I mean, which, you know, again, makes me think, you know, that maybe they were there to create him. And my um, suspicion goes even stronger when I hear that, you know, uh, by the help of the latter rain, the US then has set a kind of uh, a bounty on the guy's head of 50 million, which has, you know, turned basically Uganda into a kind of wild west where all of these small, you know, you know, a lot of like parapolitical, very unidentifiable, you know, militarized groups 
are going over there to you know find him and kill him to get the 50 million mm-hmm. and uh, even you know the 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 US themselves have sent uh, uh, about a thousand special forces uh, over there to do the same thing you know navy seals and and green barrettes and and what have you and the uh the Kybalists, the guatemalans i think they were sent to go after him now i gotta okay. i gotta have dimitri talk to you about this because like he was doing a lot of stuff on this and like yeah yeah this is very interesting that's interesting yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. We, uh, is it like uh, i'll find it i guess on the uh, on their uh we can talk about that later and yeah we'll see yeah. i have some Right, and if we get closer to like Guyana, I mean, this is just a connection, I guess, between you know, yeah, well, the latter rain in in uh, specifically and the Pentecostalists in general, you know, and what are their connections to guerrillas and uh, child soldiers in in Africa, and you know, of course, since Jones talks about Idi Amin as you know that being his friend, we can, um, I think, it's like. Yeah, it's at least interesting to to note that this is the part of the that context. Sorry, real quick. So, did he ever meet Idi Amin? <laughs> I don't think so. I I mean, I think maybe he does, didn't even know him. Like, maybe he you know claims that he knows him because he knows what the Pentecostalists are doing there. Like, that was yeah. my thinking that because he still has connection. But yeah. like, I, it does. Like, I don't even get it, right? Because like, wouldn't he, you know, naturally be more on the side of the people that eventually were the LRA? So it's just like, why would yeah. he? But then again, it's like, yeah. why would to his own base being friends with Idi Amin is a bad thing? Yeah, that's what I was. Yeah, posing yeah. as like an anti-imperialist, but then yeah. Idi Amin, of course, is like this literal anti-communist like dictator. Yeah. And so it's just like, why would you even say that? Like, I don't. Yeah. Like, it's uh, again, it's this whole thing, you know, if you try to like, if one tries to understand what Jones is, you know, you know, is he a white hat, black hat, you know, where, <laughs> where is he in this whole thing? You know, did you just go insane because he's everywhere? Like, he's a little bit of everything. Like, I, I, there is, you know, it's so unclear, you know, like sometimes he's on the side of China, sometimes he's on the side of Russia, sometimes he's on the side of, you know, Idi Amin, sometimes he, you know, wants to be, you know, friends with Burnham, sometimes he wants to be friends with Chedi Yagan, sometimes uh, he's back to his old, uh, you know, uh, Pentecostalist vibes and, you know, talking about like, you know, much more religious things being important rather than, you know, communism and... And, you know, sometimes he's talking against communism, you know, those early days in Guyana and stuff, you know, like, ah, it's so hard. It's so hard to see where does this man stand? And I think, you know, again, like probably he is, you know, it doesn't say a lot, maybe like, you know, to say that he's schizophrenic in, in the general sense. But, you know, we, we were looking at it earlier, like how they, the MK Ultra scientists were, you know, literally looking for a way to induce uh, schizophrenia in a person. Multiple personalities and so forth, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they must have had pretty ample uh, reasons to make use of Jones if they did, because he seems to show, you know, all those symptoms, you know. And it's not just on a level of like, oh, one part of me really likes green tea, the other one prefers coffee. It's like, <laughs> no, it's on the level of like the Weltgeist. <laughs> like, you know, I'm on either side of the nuclear war kind of <laughs> split personality. 
Yeah, like we're we're about to defect to the Soviet Union, but also I'm friends with <laughs> the most right-wing dictator in Africa. Okay, cool. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see where we end up, you know. I haven't quite decided yet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah. And another guy who, you know, seems to be pretty crazy as well. Like, it's you know, we already talked about him, actually. So, I, I kind of skipped through this quite quickly. But it's, you know, the House of Israel, which is in Guyana. And, you know, that was that black capitalist who was, you know, caught up in the McDonald's scandal where his closest partner ended up shot in the head in the garage or something. And people were saying that, you know, he did it because he wanted the, yeah, the whole deal with McDonald's or something. I guess he wasn't loving it. Yeah, he was. Boom! No. Yeah, yeah. Bang. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Lord. Yeah. Right. So, uh, and I mean, this guy, he's out of it, you know, like he's got like he, the house of Israel is like, it's incorporates new ageism. It's got, you know, a little bit of UFO in there, spiritual healing. W weren't there some like pyramids and such or, or am I yeah, mixing probably. up? It could be, <laughs> probably. I could be thinking could of be. a different one. Yeah. I will. It would not, you know, deviate whatsoever from what seems to be there you know, uh, general dogma. Um, yeah, spiritual healing, visions. Uh, it, it, most of the members, you know, they say, oh, at some time there were 8,000 people. Uh, I don't think 8,000, you know, fully armed, you know, death squads working for him, though there were, you know, we talked about already, like how, how Forbes Burnham did use them as kind of extra judicial uh, assass assassination squads. And uh, they had this image of him, like their visionary, you know, practice was to imagine this guy, uh, Rabbi Hill, as uh, King Elijah. And they had their own newspaper, they had their own radio station, uh, uh, and they were, yeah, supposed to fight like a battle of Armageddon. Uh, so, you know, it has all these apocalyptical aspects as well, you know, that, that Jones liked. And uh, they seem to be, if possible, an even more closely knitted group. Um, and, you know, he was bragging, like he was a little bit envious, I think, uh, the rabbi, <laughs> the, Rabbi Hill, like, I think there was like a quote that when he heard about the, what had happened in Jonestown, he said something like, oh, they would do the same thing for me or something like, <laughs> <laughs> it was like okay, <laughs> we could have done a bigger mass suicide. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, I have 8,000 people ready to do that, but I'm not going to do it, you know, because I don't want to. Uh, such a weird thing to be like, you know, measuring dicks about. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and um, yeah, so uh, what was, uh, yeah, there was uh, somebody, I had somebody down, you know, oh yeah, 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 at the, uh, I had um, a confession by, at the 2014 uh, Walter, Walter Rodney inquiry, and Walter Rodney was somebody, he was like a kind of, um, very important, like uh, black uh, theorist. Oh yeah, in Guyana, like a like a like a leftist. Uh, I don't know, like kind of who would one compare him to? I never thought to like wonder what his take on all that stuff was. Yeah, I, I started to read a little bit about what he was, you know, writing about. Like on some, uh, I found like a Guyanese blog about Walter Rodney that had. Yeah, mm -hmm. uh, there's even like a good Walter Rodney homepage. Like you don't have to go to like secondhand blogs, but 
I just found that second-hand blog because, uh, yeah, he, he seemed to be writing like quite a lot of summarizing things because I, I didn't have the time to go through everything that Walter Rodney had been writing about. But yeah, he seems to be uh, definitely, you know, a problem to Forbes Bernham because he seems to be a pretty, you know, legit communist with a good, you know, idea of how to organize this country uh, after uh, after the British disappeared. And, you know, if, if anything, he was good at calling them out uh, in the ways, you know, that they were doing things wrong with their extrajudicial killings and their strike breaking and being like, those aren't really communist activities. <laughs> it's not yeah. what we usually do. And, uh, yeah, so, uh, yeah, in this, uh, there was an inquiry then, like in 2014, and Joseph Hamilton, former priest of the House of Israel, testified that the House of Israel committed, quote, oppressive and terrorizing acts on behalf of the PNC, end of quote. And the PNC is the Burnham Party. Uh, it was also revealed that the murder of Walter Rodney, the last enemy of Burnham, was uh, a member of the House of Israel. Oh, really? Damn, yeah. interesting. Yeah. Because, I mean, like, people, okay, for the listeners who still don't maybe know who Walter Rodney is, right? Like, he wrote several amazing books. One, didn't he write uh, How Europe Underdeveloped Africa? Yeah, I think so. Which, that book is phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the one yeah. that I've read. I've read a few shorter pieces by him, but like, yeah. So like, people know he was killed by the government, but like, mm-hmm. I didn't realize that like the cult killed him like for the government. That is very interesting. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think Verso even had like, didn't they have something like just last month or last week or a few weeks ago? They had like a special Walter Rodney. Uh, week they 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 republished some of his work because I mean yeah he's he's important mm-hmm. like uh, and so yeah I mean yeah that really freaked me out as well you know that they killed him which means you know again it, uh, to me that also sounds like because it's such an accurate killing it sounds also then you know that again Burnham probably had still pretty good connections with U.S. intelligence is what I'm thinking. Mm-hmm. Uh, because yeah, Burnham had been to the U.S. as well, right? Like and and holding speeches and stuff. I think like he was uh, a popular image uh, on the left in America at the time. Mm. And uh, what else do we have, right? So like we're talking about Burnham, and we did talk about you know how he uh, he was the key player in the founding of the CARICOM, the Caribbean. Uh, uh, what does the COM stand for? Is it the Comintern? No. Uh, company like maybe just curry community or something but yeah this happens in 1973 and uh, uh, he also you know played uh, uh, as a host at the uh, conference of foreign ministers of non-aligned countries in 1972 okay so he was non-aligned interesting yeah because that's that's such an interesting thing right because like the non-aligned movement like on the one hand you can kind of no 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 i don't think cuba was officially non-aligned no i don't think okay no well i don't know But in that famous you know speech when uh, che guevara is talking about you know when he's in the united nation doesn't he speak about like how we are you know we and he's speaking on behalf of the non-aligned movement it sounds like Um, Like i'm looking it up right now all right yeah okay so there were times when they were definitely trying though they were you know aligned you know more with the soviet union so they were sort of like i think half in half out maybe 
Yeah. Because uh, it's like what makes sense. Well, it was also like Yugoslavia. There was like Egypt, India, Albania, uh, right? I or... think mm, maybe not Albania because I think they were oh. more aligned also with like the the Soviet bloc. Yeah, I think so. But like, oh. yeah, Ghana. Okay, so yeah, <sighs> interesting. That's such an interesting thing because it's like. You probably should have just aligned yeah. with one of the two sides of the <laughs> communist block because it didn't end up working, did it? No, not really. Um, and you know, I you know what were his true ambitions? It's also kind of hard. And to what degree? I think like often you know people like to point out you know oh how all of these you know African leaders that start off as Marxist slowly get corrupted. But you're like, I mean, at the same time, it's like, yeah, because you, you know, you've ruined every single other attempt at being, you know, a regular revolutionary. You know, you, the, there has been immense effort to undermine every other effort. And eventually, down the line, they're going to be ending up, you know, looking towards the populist shit like racism and, and you know, religious divides and stuff like that. Uh it, that you know, I mean, I'm not trying to justify like you know uh, things that happen in Mongolia or in Mozambique or you know, but uh, it's it's clear that it's it's not just uh, that that so many of these operations ended up like in total corruption isn't just because of some inherent flaw of how power corrupts you. I think you know, which is the normal you know normy explanation of things that oh, as soon as you have a revolution, the new leaders are going to bring things. You know back to the old way eventually yeah like there are also other forces who wants them to do that you know the forces they are fighting can work on like more levels than just fighting them with guns um precisely yeah and uh right so later in the decade also burnham allowed the cuban army to use guyana as a transit point on its way to angola uh, a polemic move since barbados had withdrawn its support uh due to u.s protest and uh, Trinidad, Trinidad announced that he would not honor such a request if it were made, uh, you know, so he still seems to be, you know, putting uh, Guyana, uh, you know, on the world map as a kind of place where people can train their guerrillas. And um, uh, unquestionably, Burnham's image was greatly improved, especially in Cuba, Eastern Europe and in the West Indies. In the 70s, he monitored the action of uh, the UNITA which are yeah the fighting forces in Angola, right? And um, also, it's a hard name to pronounce, but Nokomos uh, Sapu in Zimbabwe, the Z-A-P-U, you know, after yeah the fight uh, against uh, the Rhodesian and the South African, uh, well, Nazis or the extreme <laughs> right wing, right? Uh, and their security forces of, uh, you know, the mining con conglomerates down there. It's often like, I think like in these places, it's stupid to even like, you know, talk about an army of, you know, the nation itself. Okay, maybe you can do that with uh, uh, South Africa to a degree, uh, but like, you know, with a place like Rhodesia, it's like, <laughs> this, these are, you know, the militarized wing of a mining company <laughs> or a conglomerate of mining companies. Yeah, Rhodesia is named after a mining boss. Like, fuck off. Yeah. <laughs> it's not a real place. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And so, you know, they were fighting against them. And um, 
So he offered Guyana as a refugee for all African freedom fighters and, and black militants, you know, which would include, you know, like the Black Panthers in, 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 in the US as well and uh, in other places. And he also made financial contributions um, in his book, Journey to Nowhere, A New World Tragedy. Uh, Shiva Naipaul notes that Burnham, on his way to a conference of non-aligned nations held in Lusaka in 1970, writes a check for $50,000 that is handed over to President Nyerere. Uh, sorry, I'm not so good at this. is the president of Tanzania at the time. Uh, for his um, uh, African freedom fighters. Uh, in the Caribbean, the People Revolutionary Government of Grenada was offered both money and Guyana's army's training facilities. Mm. Uh, yeah, so this I got from uh, a Guyanese blogger called Rakesh Rampertab. So if somebody you know wants to read more about his stuff, like then uh, he seems to have a lot of interesting stuff there. Um, and so, yeah, Myers makes a summary again. Myers is the you know the shit quoter guy that I don't really like to quote too much. But you know, as we said, you know this is the kind of area where least is known. So you know, just know that maybe not all of, especially I'll try to point out when I'm quoting Myers, and you know, not all of this can be taken for granted. Um, Guyana's, uh, he says, Guyana's CIA-installed Prime Minister Forbes Burnham used the 1970 conference on non-aligned nations held in Zambia, uh, Africa, as a stage to launch, launch his career as an international black activist. With persuasive uh, oratorical skills, he announced to the third world nations in attendance that Guyana had a strong bond of empathy with the African freedom fighters. He offered his country as a sanctuary, sanctuary where blacks could find support and training facilities for their revolutionary activities in Africa. Right. So, I mean, that, that summary sounds pretty good, though. Uh, that's why I used it, I guess, um, or why I still had it here in the notes. Yeah. And um, then there's something called the X13 group. Uh, again, on a Guyanese blog, I found out about this. Um, and uh, the guy writes that on the 1st of April 1963, uh, this would be the time of Jones' double identity period, uh, according to James Hogan, and also the time of the move from Belo Horizonte to Rio, and you know his uh, inv involvement with uh, Invesco. Uh, the People's National Congress established. It's the blogger didn't point that out. Either. It's me pointing that out. Mm. I, I just put that within brackets. The People's National Congress established a security force. Uh, People's National Congress is the PNC, right? So it's the Forbes Burnham party, uh, with six uh, party members. Claude Graham, ex-deputy superintendent of police, is the head, and Edward van Genderen, some Dutch name, I guess, Genderen, Genderen, is the deputy head. The force would be established all over the country with individual groups and members attached to each party group. The main functions are to collect all types of information, to screen party executives, employees and activists, to organize gangs, gangs to commit sabotage in times of tension and to counter movement to the progressive youth organization. I guess that is the uh, Chedi Yagans, uh, the youth part of his party. Uh, to protect People's National Congress executives and other per party personalities, to train their members in the use of arms, such as shotguns, pistols and rifles, which would be most needed in the event of a civil war. 
um, efforts was made to obtain funds uh, for the force. Uh, the force is this uh, X-13 group uh, from the United States of America and arms from Dutch Guyana and Venezuela. And, you know, we saw that there were a lot of Dutch names there earlier, right? Uh, so, you know, this is also the for like the X-13, you know, it's connected to the party, uh, which is the party of the, you know, the, the national international uh, colonial bourgeoisie party, which I think, as I, if I remember correctly, that party was, you know, it's like a fake party. I mean, they have both connections to for Burnham, to Forbes Burnham's party, and they have connection to to this other bourgeoisie party, um, which you know they never got like more than let's say four or five percent. But it was just there. Uh, the CIA, I think, helped set it up, and it was yeah. just there to kind of uh, you know have the you know to be there representing the the monocultural and the monopoly like the old british corporations and the old dutch corporations like it was their foot in the parliament which i think sometimes you know like they might not even you know believe in you know that that party could ever make you know be successful they just need some people inside the parliament you know to see what's happening between Yagan and Burnham, you know, like they need to see live the back and forth between these groups, right? Yeah, I mean, it's a pretty low investment to like have, you know, it, it, it's not yeah, like yeah. Just it have takes that much. It's like mm. to basically make a party, it's like yeah, not a huge investment. Right. Probably le- more investment than went into like, you know, uh, this X-13 group because around the time of their funding, um, and, and it was interesting, I found also that they were reading Che Guevara, which is like, uh, again, you know, we're back to this whole schizophrenic thing. Um, and uh, yeah, during the time of their founding in one year, like one year alone, they managed to like pull off about 12 bombings in the capital, uh, which, you know, that's quite a lot. Like, you know, <laughs> this yeah. is supposed to be peacetime and stuff, you know, and imagine the 12 bombs went off, like in Washington, D.C. You start to wonder, like, who's behind this? Uh, and they also organized the world's longest general strike, uh, according to the Diplomatic History Journal uh, of Oxford mm. University Press. So, yeah, a uh, lot of, <laughs> lot of guerrillas. Thank <laughs> you. 
I have a few more, but uh, and we're we're about to finish. Like this will be just uh, the last two things. Okay, right. So yeah, sorry. I have uh, I forgot to mention this one earlier because now in my note I have the next interesting topic, which is Blakey and the Shalom project. And uh, what is the Shalom project? One might ask. <laughs> I have been asking that quite a few times. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and right, so there's a news article uh, in New Solidarity, right? So it was widely, you know, reported that American Special Forces veterans had trained some of the mercenaries in secret camps in South America, but only one account named Jonestown as a one such training center. Hmm. And that was, you know, the newspaper New Solidarity. Which, wait a minute, wait a minute, New Solidarity, isn't that yeah. the LaRouche publication? Oh, wait. is it? I, I thought again, like some Trotskyite newspaper. Yeah. So I'm seeing that there was a wobbly paper in the old days, but that the... It would definitely be interesting because, again, this is in the field of uh, uh, Miser, or what, no, what's his name? Yeah, the... Slightly suspect guy, Meyer. Meyer. Yeah, sorry, I don't mean to hold this up, but I'm pretty mm. sure, and I can check pretty easily. Because I'm really, I'm ready to discredit that one. Uh, it would even make more sense if this uh, is a kind of, you know, part of the shit coating, or the limited hangout. Let's say. Yes, they ran New Solidarity. All right. All right. Okay. Well, yes, because as as I already said, right, they are the only account. That tries to connect this uh, to Jonestown, and so they write that you know Reverend Jim Jones and the People's Temple were were involved in illegal ch ch channeling of mercenaries into Angola to fight against the Angolan government in '75 and '76. Uh, the overall command was a mercenary deployment set up and coordinated by Henry Kissinger and British intelligence, the same forces behind the creation of People's Temple and its eventual establishment in Guyana. And then this guy, uh, my Myers, he says that attempts to contact reporter who wrote the article have produced nothing but late-night threatening phone calls. <laughs> it is strongly advised that anyone looking into this aspect of the story exercises extreme caution, as in some circles, Blakey's work in Jonestown is apparently a very touchy subject. Wait, so is he saying that the new the that trying to contact the guy who wrote that in New Solidarity generated is that what the yeah yeah exactly that's that's what he said. Well, that makes sense because it's freaking Larouche psychopaths. Okay, right? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It makes a lot of sense now, actually, because I never really knew where to put that information. I felt half, you know, maybe there's something to it, and I felt the other half was like, yeah, it's part of uh, some limited hangout thing. But like, it could still be true. Like, could still be true. They did yeah. leak a ton of real information to the LaRouche cult. Mm -hmm. It's just then they would mix in some bullshit and then you have to sit there and be like, why can't they just be normal? Like, I'm <laughs> constantly reading like the campaign or the campaigner, um, New Solidarity, some of the other publications. And I'm just like, why can't you be normal? <laughs> yeah, why? <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, they aren't, so that's why, I guess, <laughs> it's just not part of their nature. Um, I think, uh, like, this whole thing, the best evidence, um, 
I think the best evidence. I'm not sure. Like there could be definitely more. I think a lot of the you know the circumstantial stuff that I already pointed out is is quite telling. But there's also you know Frank Terpil, you know that famous uh, weapon smuggler that worked for the CIA, who kind yeah, of like yeah, went yeah. rogue, ended up living in Cuba later, I think. Um, yeah, that guy was weird. Yeah, and he often, you know, he he was uh, he was he did fund Idi Amin, I think, at one point. Uh, let's see if I wrote down like exactly who he supplied. I mean, I'm seeing here he worked with Gaddafi and Idi Amin, and then he also sort of maybe worked with Robert Vesco too later on. Mm -hmm. But that's yeah. you know maybe yeah. in his Cuba era, right? Yeah, so there is this famous uh, Jim Hogan was part of it, right? Like there's this famous B BBC documentary where where they in, um, right before he goes underground, mm -hmm. uh, they interview him about you know what where he you know seems to be confessing to a lot of the things that he was doing for the CIA and like who he was fu funding and stuff like that. And uh, there is an inter I mean you can watch this on the YouTube. I did. I didn't watch all of it, but uh, towards the end, let's say the last, uh, the beginning of the last quarter of that film, uh, the one that's on YouTube, um, he says, you know, there's a lot of things, like there's a lot of stories that you think you know. Uh, this is terrible saying, you know, I'm paraphrasing, obviously. Uh, there's a lot of stories that, you know, are popular stories today that you think you know the whole, you know, story about it. Uh, but if you knew what I know, and if you knew, you know, who I have been, uh, sending weapons and guns to, you would think about some of these stories very differently. And then it cuts, the uh, interview cuts, and Myers, I, again, I don't think he know. Uh, I don't think he really knows what was being said behind the camera. I think he just adds this in his book and saying that, you know, that he, and then he goes on to talk about everything that he supposedly said behind the, the scene. Um, but, uh, you know, never mind that, to be honest, I, I don't like this guy. So never mind what he's saying that he said. But uh, when it cuts, it cuts over to like a series of photographs, uh, I guess, suggesting that, you know, each photograph stands for one of these popular stories. And one of the photographs that lingers in the BBC documentary is that famous picture of Jonestown with all the people lying on the ground. Hmm. <laughs> which i mean yeah that's like the that's the biggest one i think in connection to to all of this um like it's it's interesting right because it's like i don't mm -hmm. know about you but like i do have normal friends <laughs> yeah <laughs> believe yeah. it or not I, and like i do, I do some yeah. as well yeah yeah and like they're becoming less and less but yeah sure <laughs> right um and like you talk to someone say a normal person mm -hmm. at work and you you know you, maybe somehow Jonestown comes up and you have to like try to hide your power level about not blurting out something insane sounding but like yeah how how many people think that and they just like act so fucking smug acting like they know exactly what happened there and it's based on like yeah as if they can understand exactly what it means to be you know yeah. what they say a cult leader or a cult member one documentary that explain and kind of like winks and nudges and like lets you in on like you know you know like pe a lot of people yeah, are kind of yeah. sheep or whatever and you know they yeah. might do this or that and then maybe give you like one little morsel of something to make you mm -hmm. think that you really know and it's just like what is being interested in parapolitics but like 
a full and frank admission of like, I don't know what happened here. What on earth is going on? <laughs> yeah. Can they please, you know, could that at least be, you know, some, you know, the conclusion of some of these documentaries that mm -hmm. we definitely, you know, even according to our own narrative, what, what, what does that mean then? You know, like, you know, why do you think you know exactly how a cult functions and what purpose it serves, you know, in the bigger picture of, of, uh, uh well you, you know like geopolitics or whatever like take your pick like where are you putting it within the context of religion because you know you hate you're you know one of these new atheists who think that there is some kind of like you know poison in religion itself like you know eventually it all leads to this like and you see like uh, demagogues blah 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 like but how mm -hmm. does the demagogue get this power and how you know and why are they staying it's the same thing you know like when you're young and you hear the first you know, anti-drug things. And you're really wondering, like, if all drugs, you know, means that you end up killing yourself, why is anybody doing drugs? <laughs> like, mm -hmm. you really like, it all seems to end up with, uh, you know, you're jumping out of a window or trying to kill yourself like a Satsuma. Like, why are people doing drugs? And that's the same thing, you know, then you learn later, you know, more a nuanced picture of like, you know, you know, drug addiction as maybe a um, a sickness or you know you take drugs yourself and you can see the appeal and you can also see like how you might not always weigh weigh that in 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 the, in the clearest sense against the the non-benefits right uh but like on the you know when people talk about cult as you say uh in general they're still on that you know childish childish level of being like well they they, they join because they want to be told what to do and then eventually kill themselves you're like no I don't yeah. think that's why somebody joins a cult. <laughs> like, it can't be. If I hear one more person be like, well, you know, actually a lot of smart people fall for cults. If I hear that one more time, I'm going to freaking, I don't know, join a cult. Like, yeah. Fuck. Yeah. Yeah. They, yeah. Oh, I don't know what to say, but I, I hear you. Like, I don't even know why they, they add that bit of information, you know, like, is it mm -hmm. to just be like, Oh, I'm actually being kind of sympathetic because I myself too am a smart person. <laughs> and <laughs> I can wait, see wait, where you're coming from. Marcus, real quick. If you Maybe. had to join a cult and yeah. you knew that you would mostly <laughs> not end up in like a Jonestown situation, which yeah. cult would you join? I'll, uh, I think the Aum Shinryuko because mm. just now, just because I, I just want to know more about it, but and also because you know I seem to be like well, well equipped, like you know having you know been a medical monk in the Buddhist tradition, and yeah, you know I've been yeah. to initiated in some very strange uh, things in in Tibet, uh, like in the. Yeah, what was it called the Jarshangar. Jarshangar is like a big, the city of the nuns. You, you should look this place up later. Mm -hmm. Oh man, that like when I went there, it was crazy. Like I, uh, two monks, they they like put me in like um, uh, I had like the red coat, you know that uh, you know that Tibetan monks have, and mm -hmm. then they also put like a big uh, uh, like an army jacket, like one of those uh, army jackets that the train. Uh, train men usually wear it's like a big green parkas with a kind of yoke mm. uh, fur thing around the neck uh so that i they, so i could get through the custom clearing or like the the border control and then just put that over me and so when the soldier came in to like look he just saw like you know a bus full of monks and nuns and one monk sleeping with a <laughs> with a jacket or a parkas over his head and so they didn't stop the bus and i got in and uh 
ah oh, man this place like i would like to do like you know do a proper storytelling about this place because mm -hmm. it is the probably the uh the craziest one site that i have ever visited like you you come we came up with the bus and everybody's getting out and then you walk up to like the edge where there's like a slope down into a big valley and in the big valley in the center there are like three big temples and around it is like a shanty town of like makeshift houses which houses tens of thousands of people who have like gathered there from like the whole of tibet and the whole of china um, and on the top of like where the bus stopped uh, like a small you know like uh, like makeshift bus as well you could say uh, there's like a huge golden set like uh, uh, it's not the not the regular Buddha. It's like the uh, the one that uh, they have in the Vajrayana tradition. What's his name? Uh, Rinpoche, like the Rinpoche Buddha with mm. those staring eyes, just like looking out over the whole, you know, the land of snow. Like to the horizon, you just see like snow-peaked mountains and like this one place in the middle of all this dead, hard black and white rock. There's like a huge, lush green valley down there. And then you just walk down. It's like something out of, you know, uh, a land a long time ago, you know, like that dinosaur uh, cartoon film, like from when we were young. <laughs> and it's just like a forgotten place. And everybody's walking down there. And I just, you know, follow the stream of, you know, red, red uh, uh, coats uh, walking down um, or cloaks, let's say. And, uh, and along the path, there are like these huge prayer wheels. And we just walk and, and we, we turn them like little by little, you know, like everybody's walking so that there's like a stream of people just turning this stream of uh, big prayer wheel drums, you know, like they're like maybe one and a half meter big and, you know, made out of copper or bronze or something, you know, just turning and making this kind of eerie sound. And around uh, the whole path, there are huge, huge crows, like I've never seen crows big as eagles, like with beaks, like least, like a decimeter of black beak like just looks like obsidian stone just cutting away at like bodies that have been like you know put out to be eaten by birds uh on the rocks around this place like in, and like there's dogs humans and you know any kind of remains there and uh, you come we come down to the to the valley and i stayed at like a a small school like uh, that was like kind of abandoned and there was a lady there who had a small restaurant where she like fed people and uh, some some like chinese explorers would come there like with their with their jeep trucks like the four-wheel drive ones and and i stayed there and then the next morning i went to the morning ceremony in the biggest uh, temple in the middle of the valley and then when i walked there there was like thousands of people just sitting like holding incense in the early morning before the sun came up and there are like candle lights and everything and two girls like it's the city of the nuns so it's mainly like women there and two girls see me and they can see you know like why is there a two meter i my hair head was shaved so they didn't see that i had blonde hair but they were like why is this two meter blonde guy uh, a blue-eyed guy here you know like let's take him for a little ride and they take me through the whole crowd you know like of thousands of people and like people are just sitting there like chanting and the chanting gets louder and louder as we come closer to the temple and as i walk into the temple like the sound is overwhelming like it's like like being in a like a beehive you know like you're just like 
like a little drone. And then they sit me down and I look like at the center of like attention, there's like a big uh, pedestal, like a throne. And on the top of the throne, there's a man sitting like in the, in the lotus position. And I see like as the sun, you know, starts pouring in and, and it becomes, you know, more and more daylight. I see that the, the man who's sitting there is, is not a live person. It's like a mummy and the mm. skin is like leather. And it's so like his face looks like half alive and half like a skull. And, and and that's like the center over there. And they take me behind him and behind him, there's like a big statues of the different uh, Buddha, Buddhist deities, like the Vaira Yogini, for example, the Vaira Yogini is kind of like the Kali. Many, many people know Kali, right? In Hinduism, the, the one that kills Shiva, the one with the ferocious uh, face and the many arms with the weapons in in her hand like that's the kind of the equivalent like but this one has red skin and she's holding like a necklace of or she wears a necklace of skulls and she holds like a brain or like a cup that, that there seems to be like a brain flowing out of the cup <laughs> and the girls they're like you have to like throw throw the rag doll now like throw the doll on the ground in front of her and i'm like okay and then I just throw my body like like a doll, like right on in front of like the statue and uh, prostrate in front of it. And they're like, okay, good. Nice one. And then they take me and they put me up in the, on the side of the valley. There are loads of these small huts all around, like which is just big enough for you to sit there. And then they take me up there and I sit in the grassy fields, like overlooking the whole valley. And they put me there in this small little hut and they say, okay, we'll come back every day and give you food and you just stay here and you do meditation and you just sit there and see what happens. And, uh, <laughs> and so I sit there and like, I think on the fourth day, like I'm barely eating anything, you know, like they come up sometimes with like uh, water and, you know, they keep giving me less and less all the time. And uh, on the fourth day, I just have this in like, unbelievably unexplainable experience of like drifting out of my body and seeing myself sit in this little path on the slope leading down to this valley of the uh, mummy Buddha. Uh, and as I like realized that I am outside of my body looking down at my little self sitting there, I try to get closer to myself. And as I get closer, my own body sitting there little by little becomes more like a statue, like it looks more and more like a Buddha statue. And when I get really close to be able to decide, like, is it me sitting there or is this a statue? It just becomes bright light, like everything becomes bright light. And I kind of like wake up out of this trance and I'm just sitting there <laughs> and it's like raining and there's thunder across the mountain peaks. And the whole thing is, yeah, the most surreal experience that I've ever had in, in my entire life, probably. And uh, <laughs> and the girls come up again, like perfect timing, and they just look at me and they're like, 
How do you feel, motherfucker? You know, like <laughs> you thought you knew what we're up to here. You know, you think you're little, you know, you're little uh, dabbling with Buddhism back in the Western world. You know, you think you know, you know, you know what's going on. <laughs> and then they just grab me and they take me back through the whole, you know, shanty village of all the thousands of houses, and all the old ladies come out of the house and they look at me and they wave with their hands, like in a kind of gesture, like, like you know, like they're not waving let's say they hold their their palm like horizontal out and their hand out and they like moving it upwards kind of like an upgrade you know <laughs> like they're signaling you know that that i have moved upwards and then they all say traktale 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 i think it means hello in tibetan or something and everybody's just looking at me like there's not anybody clapping hands or anything you know but they come out and they look at me and the two girls are like kind of looking like proud like they have made you know that they have their little prodigy here and then the, <laughs> <laughs> they walk me back you know to the to the place where i was uh, uh, staying in the in the school uh, in the abandoned school and i think i slept for like <laughs> two days or something and then there was like a woman who came who had been to this place uh, to visit her mother and her mother had stayed here for 20 years she said in this freaking place and i was like wow <laughs> i don't dare to stay here 20 years can you take me back to normal world and she was like yeah <laughs> i can take you back and then she arranged like with some guy who was there who had a jeep and uh yeah uh, I, I went back with her to chengdu and uh yeah that's the end of that story <laughs> wow that's crazy <laughs> yeah and so i don't know because of that, I think, you know, if I had to join some cult, probably I would join the Aum Shinryuko. And then I'd tell the people this story and they'd be like upgrading me to officer or something. Like, <laughs> 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 and I can tell people to do things. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> That's why. Yeah. Yeah. yeah See, yeah, sure. I would have just joined the LaRouche cult because I feel like just blasting cigarettes and listening to Beethoven <laughs> while doing like intelligence, private intelligence work would suit me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that'd be sweet. They seem to have the most international vibe. Uh, like that you can go a little bit everywhere. And uh, I, I would like that. Yeah, sure. yeah. Because it's like, on the one hand, half of it is just scamming old people like most cults. But it's like, if you can get on the... Uh, writing staff for like executive intelligence review mm, that would mm -hmm. suit me it would have suited mm. me in the old days now no way mm. <laughs> i'm just uh spitballing here yeah that's right sure. and it's hard you don't know go like you don't know now what the good cults are so it's not like you can even do this effectively it's like only with nah. you know with the ability to see what the past you know like yeah, yeah, exactly. You only have like the retrospective yeah. rehabilitation. I like what uh, Creed says in The Office. <laughs> when yeah, he's like, yeah. you, have, you have more fun as a lead, no, as a member, but you, I don't know, what does he say? Like you make more money as a, as a leader and you have more fun as a member. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> so good. <laughs> like he's done both, like, you know, yeah. he's so sketchy. Isn't there like one cutout scene where the guy from, I've never seen that show, but like the Breaking Bad guy. Uh, I've never seen Breaking Bad, but I know that younger guy. Uh, he he comes in and gives like a package to Creed in one episode. It's like Creed Creed would pick this up. Oh, is he in the office? 
<laughs> yeah, he does like a cameo thing, or like not a real cameo, I guess, but like a cameo as his character in Breaking Bad. Mm. And then he's like, "This package is for Creed." Oh, yeah. <laughs> and then I think like Creed goes up and he's like, "Nice, it's my meth or something." <laughs> 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 yeah, it, no need. Like he's got bigger fish to keep. Uh, you know, quiet about like you don't have to hide his Matthews. That's that's like <laughs> small time stuff for him. Which I think you know, I mean, getting back yeah to to like uh, the Red Brigade, it seems like you know, uh, like it's funny that if you know if the Red Brigade was a kind of you know front for something, like it's funny that that you would need you know that you would have like a terrorist leftist extreme guerrilla in the Guyana jungle as a front for something else, you know, like you don't need a front, you know, to cover up the fact that you do have that, but you know, that, right. that's, you know, that's just a front for what we're actually doing. And, you know, you would think that it would be the worst thing you could pick, <laughs> but then there yeah. are all these different examples through history of that happening, like the SLA. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And like, you know, and the SLA definitely not that too far away from Jonestown either. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, and uh, yeah. So I mean, this Shalom project with Frank Terpel definitely don't know what to think about that because again, most is from this, uh, yeah, this uh, somewhat dubious work of uh, uh, Michael Myers, if I remember his name correctly, uh, was Jonestown a CIA medical experiment? Uh, do we have, I mean, there are other like tidbits, like for example, like I think in uh, more Rebecca Moore talks about um, uh, that in 1979, uh, the Forbes Burnham Party, uh, People's National Congress, they considered allowing 100,000 Laotians, like from Laos, mm-hmm. uh, to settle in Jonestown. And these were, you know, refugees who had served in the Mio army. Uh, one of these, uh, I guess, tribal armies that the CIA used. What, are they just asking for a drug trade problem? Yeah, I'm really wondering, you know, why would they do that? You know, and like, why would they, you know, why would Forbes Burnham now, since he says, you know, that he's, you know, no longer in contact with the CIA, why would he do them such a favor of hiding, you know, a hundred thousands of their former guerrilla warriors uh, from the Vietnam War? That's, uh, that doesn't make any sense. Yeah, right-wing relief agencies in the U.S. offered to finance the move, but the Guyana public uh, backed, and so the Mio army didn't come. Mm-hmm. Which I wonder, like, did they bring that up to for a popular vote or something? Like, what? <laughs> That's also yeah, strange uh, kind of things to be voting on. Uh, yeah, do we have some more things? I mean, yeah, the SLA. We already talked about, like, you know, how the SLA was the. Um, uh, you know, Donald DeFries, a lot of the drugs that he said that he had been exposed to in the prison experiments were the same drugs that, you know, was reported in the New York Times and other newspapers about, you know, what had been found in Jonestown, uh, <laughs> among other things, you know, a normal quantities of uh, qualudes, um, which I found out is strange. Also, like right after 1978, there's a lot of statistic about this drug uh, there used to be like a lot of deaths associated with it. Um, but after 1978, the suicide seems to be more um, like before it was. Wait, sorry, I'll just get this right. Of course, it's nice. Uh, like 72% are have involved fatal trauma, which means, you know, that people have been exhibiting poor judgment, impulsive behavior, 
uh, and you know just doing crazy things while on this medicine before it was like just a regular kind of suicide thing like i guess people take it with alcohol or something whereas after 78 people seem to be taking it uh and then just doing crazy things that lead you know ends up having them killed Hmm. which i yeah i don't know what to make out of that i just saw that like as on on a medical report when i was trying to find out about all these different kind of uh, drugs uh, it's mentioned in a Jack Ryan novel as well, I found out, like a Tom Clancy one. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, somebody says like... Uh, Wait, just mentioning quaaludes or the change in the usage of quaaludes? No, they're just mentioning quaaludes. Oh, yeah. okay. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, and there then, was probably like a real uptick when people realized that you could get super high using them. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, uh, As it tends to be, right? <laughs> like when you can do something funny with it. And uh, yeah, like a volume, of course, a lot of Demerol. Demerol, all those good IG farben opioids. There was the uh, uh, the one we mentioned briefly before the uh, I forget the Red Devils. The re- yeah, yeah, yeah. And then like uh, I guess you know that's super powerful. The Thorazine, you know those mm-hmm. first tranquilizers, which are like you know the I think they found eleven thousand doses of that, which you know that's enough for the whole of Guyana, I guess. I was uh... not really, but. It's yeah, well, no, much. the amount of drugs they had like way out of whack, right? Because like when you're like a normal, I don't know, agricultural project, mm-hmm. you would be like mostly malarial stuff and like some certain yeah, yeah, amounts yeah. of everything else. And they had like just a huge stockpile of psychiatric drugs. Yeah. And it's just like, what fucking more do you need to see that this is at minimum <laughs> yeah. some sort of weird <laughs> yeah. mind control thing? Yes. And how would they have it? without yeah. some degree of interaction with fucking intelligence agencies. It's like, yeah, that's all you need to know. Right. I mean, this Thora sign is like, you know, that's the famous one, right? That she was talking about, uh, you know, in that eyewitness report from Mendocino, that they would just give them, you know, randomly to people just to like shut them down, you know, like it's like... Uh, yeah, just making zombies. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, so why do they have 11,000 doses of that? Like, that doesn't even, you know, or they say, oh, they use them to, like, you know, you, you know, control people when they behave badly. Like, you know, that that is part of the, you know, the psychodrama or the game. But it's like, but 11,000 doses? Like, that's, you know, then you're doing it to every person there a thousand times over. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, a hundred times over it becomes, right? Uh, wait, how's my calculations now? Yeah, if it's like... It would be 10 times over, right? 11 times for each person, at least, probably more. And that's the stuff that was left there. You know, we don't know how much, you know, they had from the beginning. Exactly. It's just like, it just doesn't make sense. No, it makes no sense. And that stuff's not cheap either. It's like, mm-hmm. it's like. Yeah, it's top-notch <laughs> drugs, right? Why are you spending it's... all your money on drugs if you're not using them, you know? like Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then there's like, you know, there was daily checkups for a lot of people as well. You know, like, it doesn't matter if you're really old. You don't need daily checkups, like, you know, to go see yeah, a doctor every unless day. Unless the daily checkup involved getting a shot of Thorazine. Yeah, right. Yeah, or, you know, any other part of this, you know, cocktail. I can really imagine, you know, like how they must have... I mean, how do you get people to stay up for six days, right? You, so you, you, you speed them up, and then you make, like, the whole experience, because there isn't actually anybody coming, but you throw in a bit of, you know, some hallucinogens in there, 
and then now people are staying up for six days and they are convinced that they are hearing things in the in the jungle you know they're seeing mm -hmm. people probably you know uh, they're seeing uh, you know planes you know, see whatever and uh, and then the come down you know after that and you just you know Valium and Thorazine and then you just have people you know as zombies for a while and then you know little by little they, they start to recover through you know labor and stuff and you know it's not like they're being put in any other you know condition so that you never really do wake up do you you know you're always in this yeah this nightmare that is you know in the middle of the jungle in the least inhospitable place in, in the world so yeah like it's hard to see this as anything other than you know what we what you just suggested like <laughs> otherwise i've seen nobody explain this properly i don't know yeah I, I wonder if i really have anything more it will just be some more things about you know the blade yeah and, uh... well okay let me let me ask you this okay so yeah. <laughs> and not to just rehash certain things you cover in your episodes because i would recommend mm. people check out your episodes on Jonestown, but uh, yeah, the okay. There's this idea that okay. There's this idea that Jonestown was a mass suicide. Then there is a there are certain facts which point to essentially some sort of like mass murder event or some mixture thereof. Right, and there are stories of groups coming in and killing people. And there are different theories, right? Like it could be yeah. that the Red Brigades did did it all, right? Mm -hmm. It yeah. could be that um, shoot, what was the uh, paramilitary paramilitary? Yeah, group? like so. Th there's a Russian KGB officer who was later a professor who said that uh, he had gathered uh, eyewitness reports of a plane that arrived like shortly before this uh, with um, all uh, young males. Uh, well equipped for like some kind of trek or something who disembarked the plane and who never left uh, from Port Kaituma from the airport again and and people saw them just move into the jungle basically as soon as as they as they arrived like 20 30 people or something like that yeah so it's like what um, is that like a freaking army ranger unit or something <laughs> like... right yeah uh yeah i mean maybe they you know the officers for like you know uh, you know, I'm just making sure that, you know, everything went as, as, as according to plan, you know, maybe the Red Brigade were, were out there and they, they, you know, they could take care of the major part of the work, but you never know, you know, like we said, 20 of the Red Brigade who were 60 people, um, you know, that they survived, you know, maybe they were worried people were gonna, uh, well, leave their post or something, you know, and then they would be waiting for them in the jungle to make sure. Uh, there is like I found one connection to this in the FBI report. They get some calls, the FBI, from some guy who they label as like dangerous, armed, and suicidal, and he basically confesses to having been contacted by uh, some old army friends, if I remember correct correctly, who was like you know in some kind of special unit in Vietnam, uh, some kind of commando special unit, and he was you know offered to take part in a in a pro you know in a what's the word uh some uh, you know he didn't necessarily have all the information but you know that they were gonna yeah shoot somebody at the port kaituma airport uh and that he was asked to do this and this was in connection with the the assassina assassination of some other central american 
uh, leader. Um, I can't remember who it was. I think it was somebody from Guatemala and to take out that uh, president's whole family. But yeah, just the fact that he's talking, you know, about, uh, you know, that he was offered a job to to do basically what happened at Port Kaituma Airport is, you know, suspicious and why he calls, you know, the FBI to tell them about that. I mean, it seems like a pretty big hoax, like you're getting into a lot of troubles, uh, you know, for just for, for, for a joke, right? When you're labeled by the FBI as dangerous, suicidal and armed. Like, why would you go through the trouble to just, you know, pull some bullshit story? There might be something to it. I don't know. Yeah. Um, like then there is also yeah go no well there was the uh group of uh what was it eight thousand in that other cult and i forget what the paramilitary side to that other cult oh was. yeah the yeah the the the, uh, the the house of israel that later became the the phantom death squads which are still mm. active today and also the x13 group yeah yeah so it's like you know maybe they could be in the mix could be for sure. I mean, there seems knows, to be gorillas right. all over the place. Yeah, and then also um, the Venezuelan border patrol mm. saw, uh, a part, um, according to Mark Lane, the lawyer, he had uh, um, got his hands on some report from uh, yeah the Venezuelan border patrol that said that they uh, had spotted a group of you know some 30, 50 people moving information away from. Uh, um, Jonestown towards the Venezuelan border slightly after the event happened. And, you know, it's very close to the Venezuelan border as well. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Well, there's I'll, too here, many. Like, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Like, here's Here what I'll say. There, for sure, army rangers were in, or I think it was maybe the Delta Force, uh, were involved in the Waco siege. Mm-hmm. Right. Where whatever happened, for sure, the feds did some weird shit to during mm-hmm. the Waco siege. But there are um, substantiated like there's proof that army rangers were on site. Green Berets were there and right. they were actually participating. And it is debated to what degree. But like there is this idea that maybe if cults are intelligence operations to to a certain extent that some mm-hmm. of the cleanup would be you know controlled yeah and executed with like extreme prejudice perhaps yeah i mean yeah you would need the best of the best right mm-hmm. and uh, there are like of course you know indications that some of the best of the best were in guyana like the cia uh, man in charge on the site who is the first to report that there has been a you know that uh, Operation White Knight has taken place. We don't know really, I think, how he got that information, but he probably had some snitch, right? Uh, Or some informant or, you know, or direct connection, who knows? Um, Because, yeah, that CIA um, uh, operative, now the name escapes me, but, you know, he was the best of the best, basically. Like, he had been in in Vietnam, like, you know, in Operation, you know, the Phoenix Operation, right? And... uh, uh, or training those Laotians and you know training the guerrilla groups over there, and he was also in um, with the Iran Contra thing. You know he was with the Contras in Central America in a few different countries. Actually, I think he even like 
he was heralded like later in the 80s as kind of the mastermind of the whole new you know turn that the cia takes at that time like 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 as you know a mastermind as much as you can be when you're like that you know hands on the ground kind of personnel uh but you know that he you know he was very instrumental in this whole uh the changing of focus right away from a war on communism to a war on terrorism mm. and uh yeah and he kept apparently the whole contra thing going a lot longer than it you know was supposed to be like he would fund things it would seem like even out <laughs> of his own pocket like like or like with you know with the disposed uh you know uh funds that he did have and like i mean i guess you know when you're that hands-on as well you know you get a lot of connections i think you can get a lot of like you know if you want to get up to some you know funky shit on the side there's there won't be a problem really for you i think yeah i mean it's a perk of the job yeah and you know back to those little bit you know crazy numbers things you know like that the delta force that's their birthday the day of the final mm. operation white night that is the birthday, the first birthday, the one year celebration of the forming of the Delta Force, which is the beginning of anti, you know, the war on terrorism, I would say, like, you know, practically speaking, maybe the whole ideological apparatus has not started to, uh, you know, spin that whole narrative as, you know, taking up more space than, than the war on communism. You know, obviously that will not be possible until like the Soviet Union falls, right? But, but you know, on a practical organizational yeah, what do they call it? Uh, non-symmetrical warfare side of things. Uh, yeah, that's when they are founded, and or that that is the that is the first birthday. Interesting. Which uh, yeah, very very strange. Why? Uh, and uh, you know, like we talked about, there were two different people of the Branamites who um, uh, the latter rain, you know, apostles who who. Um, who gave those years, right, the 78 and 79 as the year that, you know, this shift in like world consciousness was going to take place and that, you know, there was going to be the end of communism and the beginning of something else, which, you know, I'm suggesting, yeah, the war on terror. Uh, and even the, you know, um, Reverend Moon does that same prediction, right? He says that it's going, the war on communism is going to end in 1978, uh, that it no longer can maintain itself. I mean, uh, like, even <laughs> if you just talk about purely vibes, like, punk yeah. started in 77, 78, like, yeah. there was this shift, right? <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. it was the start sure. also of just widespread, like, privatization and just this, like, mm -hmm. all of these reforms, like, the Soviet Union yeah. was in decline from, you know, you yeah. can pick what date it started to decline, but, like, if it wasn't yet morning in America, it was at least, you know, dawn was on the horizon. <laughs> Let's mm. put it that way. A golden uh, dawn, if you will. Yeah, <laughs> a golden <laughs> dawn, for sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and then also, I was just going to say, like, you know, we don't, I don't have the details pulled up, but like, Transmissions from Jonestown, the podcast does a great job of talking about some of this, which is, first of all, where did the money go? Yeah. Jonestown. I mean, the People's Temple had a ton of money. Where did it go? Yeah, right. And they had it all over the world. You know, like uh, that guy who I talk about in my show as, a, you know, the biggest possible CIA uh, insider, mm -hmm. uh, Tim Stowen, right? Like he was part of setting up the whole 
you know, financial structure of People's Temple. And it seems pretty, you know, pretty good. Like they had, you know, things in Panama, like, you know, some other, you know, of those Caribbean islands. They had stuff in, you know, in Switzerland, in, I don't know if they had even in Cayman Islands as well. Like, I don't know, when you already have Panama and like Switzerland, like, you're pretty good to go, I guess. And I've seen like, you know, reports from anywhere from like 20 million to 50 million to like, I think 70 million should have been, you know, still in, you know, assets right after mm -hmm. uh, dollars at that time. I don't know what that makes it today, but it's, you know, sounds like quite a lot of money. Uh, yeah. And then there was a yeah. core like cadre that survived and some of them presumably oh, got the money, yeah. right? Uh-huh. And then they said that they buried it. Uh and then that they just went there. There were two brothers, right? What was his name again? Uh uh It wasn't the uh, Leightons, was it? No, no. The Leighton guy was at the at the port Larry Leighton was at the Port Kaituma shooting, so he was already yeah. apprehended, I think. Um the um uh t um well, I can't remember his name now, but there were yeah, there were two brothers there who, who were supposed to go get away with the money, and they said that they buried it uh, mm -hmm. or they got rid of it. Um, yeah, uh, there was some check check made out also, like of all the assets that they had in cash. I think like at the time, like that was going to be given to the Soviet Union. They said, <laughs> um, which the Soviet Union didn't want, like because you know, talk about blood money, right? <laughs> um, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, the whole thing about the money is strange, like, you know, because they also, you know, when I was early into this, I thought, you know, always follow the money, you know, and it's so hard to see, like, who were the big donors, like, there is talk about big donors to, to uh, you know, to make sure that the, the whole exodus to Jonestown could happen. Uh, but it, I never really got like, you know, you know, actual documented proof of like, who were the big donors to this thing. Yeah. which you know it had had to be a lot yeah i mean uh, like yeah. it's not proof but like we could imagine based on other cults who might have been donating but that would be speculation yeah, yeah. i guess um, you know if we ever do an episode on like uh, you know that whole the synonym mind map and we try to like you know follow the money over there like it's already a pretty good network of these drug rehabilitation things inspired by, you know, LSD mm -hmm. uh, procedures. And uh, yeah, I guess the, that picture might become a little bit clearer who is interested in this whole thing. Yeah. And then also just the, just the fact, like some of my listeners might not realize that people kept dying in relation to Jonestown. Definitely. Definitely. Like murdered, like there, yeah. the cult continued after Jonestown, mm -hmm. and like, like what scores were being settled? It's yeah. If you, if like you, who knew too much, like uh, old question, very murky. Like what exactly yeah. was going on post Jonestown? Yeah, they even you know that. Uh, uh, I know you listened to my episode. You know that one where mm -hmm. where I have the recording of. Uh, the communication at the American embassy when they're so befuddled about, you know, the, the coding uh, mm -hmm. that the Youngstown people are sending back to San Francisco. And I mean, remember that the people back in San Francisco, like in the planning committee, some of those people 
you know, were a part of that whole plan to poison the water supply of Washington, D.C., for example. I mean, that's one of many crazy things that they were, you know, was part of the planning commission, which, again, was set up by that guy, Tim Stowen, the, you know, the CIA, the, the highest likely or possible CIA infiltrator, in my opinion. Um, and, uh, yeah, in that recording, you know, when the American embassy is trying to figure out what they are talking about, basically what they are talking about is that, you know, execute you know order 23 or whatever like do you know what we talked about <laughs> now it's time right? uh it's uh it's fucking you know it's really scary and then you know let's say there were some people who really you know they weren't infiltrators they weren't ops they were just you know fundamental pt believers and they were going to do exactly that you know or poison the water supply of Washington DC, for example, or something of that magnitude. And then, you know, you have all these loose cannons running around who are have been, you know, programmed to think that, you know, programmed to kill, perhaps. Yeah, yeah, we have to do that. And then, you know, then that would explain why some people start <laughs> to get whacked later, you know, like they're, they're... wait a minute, Marcus, for that to be true, there would have to be like, I don't know, a mass shooter associated with the survivors yeah and then you know what do we have the first school mass shooting in 84 mm. right that's what i said oh yeah 13 mm. people he even got a house right outside the school i didn't know that first like he got a, a house right side out of the he was shooting from his own li uh, living room or or, or bedroom <laughs> it's so crazy like and then he just you know Dang. 13 people killed or something uh, no sorry wounded and at least two killed i think uh which you know that's not just anecdotal knowledge you know like that's that's a pretty big thing about american life today like when talking about terror in a more you know general sphere of things like you know how do you make people very afraid about basically everything then you know how do you terrorize your own population i mean school shooting is for sure up there together with you know actual organized terrorist attacks on on you know things like trading centers <laughs> yeah things. yeah no for sure no. because it's like mm. from that point on it's just more and more like people going postal more mass shootings mm -hmm. just weird shit from the that point yeah. on like right it seems like if it uh, if the counterculture you know like when Dustin was saying oh we have to use the counterculture or teach them how to help themselves if the counterculture didn't you know die with manson then it definitely died with with Jonestown, right? Like there's, like the world changed after this. You know, it wasn't. You know, it's like, yeah, yeah. Or the counterculture lived on, but it just increasingly became more about like hypnotizing yourself or getting hypnotized by a cult, and then yeah, doing yeah. some crazy shit. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, exactly. Like all the noble dreams, they are dead, and the only stuff that is left is just like. Yeah, like you just said, like, allow yourself to be hypnotized so that you can become a better office worker. <laughs> I don't see how this is going to bring about the end of capitalism. Me weighing away at a Ford plant. Like, yeah, that doesn't help anyone. I don't know if you've ever, uh, since you've had an interesting life, I don't know if you've ever had really normal ass boring corporate jobs, but like, sometimes they'll give you like access to like a, like a guided meditation app. Ah, oh, yeah, 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 I've heard about that. As like a perk of it being an employee, and it's like, yeah. 
And they'll even say stuff like, oh, you can put this on while you're sleeping. And I'm like, fuck, no, no way. I'm not getting fucking hypnotized by my corporate, like, Zen meditation app. No, never do that. <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> Your whole internal, like, value structure is just reorientated. So, like, you know, that the, the quarter reports is just way more important <laughs> than your son's life. <laughs> yeah, I, I like that when, like, Zizek, you know, like, I like when he talks about, you know, like how capitalism isn't, you know, it doesn't have anything to do with egotism. You know, people usually like when they like to criticize, like, you know, consumerism, which is such a small part of capitalism, you know, that people are just trying to fulfill their, you know, guilty pleasures and stuff. And, and Zizek is like, no, 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 this is the entire wrong way to look at capitalism, you know, like look at the really big, you know, CEOs and stuff like they, you know, they care about capital and the reproduction of capital more than themselves. Anything can be sacrificed for the sake of, you know, reproducing capital. Their own health and stuff sometimes. Yes, anything. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's it's funny, Marcus. I had coworkers at yeah. essentially entry level jobs being like, "Hey, are you calling into the conf- like to the uh earnings call yeah like oh you know we're we're announcing our earnings are you gonna listen in and i'm like what does that mean wait 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 i don't i don't <laughs> i don't get it like so they're talking to their shareholders and their board of directors about like what they did that quarter or that year oh but it doesn't affect them personally it's just it's just the companies yeah yeah <laughs> right yeah and i'm like you fucking cuck like we don't own shares in this company <laughs> we're not getting yeah. any equity like yeah this doesn't affect me in the slightest like i don't care yeah. to, like, it's fucked up like, it's the antithesis of class consciousness you know it's just like yeah. why do you they don't care they have given you no love man like why yeah, are you it's like you're <laughs> wasting your own lunch break to do this shit when you like your own self-interest would dictate that you would do literally anything else <laughs> yeah actually like my whole like theory like this is something completely different but like uh, you know, like when we talked about earlier about, you know, the Gladio and the state behind behind in Scandinavia, mm-hmm. like a lot of my theory about like why they killed Olaf Palme mm. is that um, I think that Olaf Palme, like he wasn't, you know, an avid supporter personally, but like he was, you know, the symbol figure of a new kind of more leftist wave of social democracy that was about to implement something called the uh, Learn the Tagar Fund, uh, which is like a wage taker fund. I think it's it's said in English. Oh yeah, yeah. And I okay. think that is such a genius. Like it's one of the few things that this you know the social democrats have you know come up with that is an actual kind of gradual you know thing that it's that isn't parliamentary because what you're actually what they would actually have you know been doing would be to critically heighten the class consciousness of regular workers because everybody would have a you know a fund in the the place where they work you know which means that they can start to think that you know these means of production a small part of them they belong to me you know Mm. and when you get that you know implemented into the head of people and they start to think like that on an everyday basis you know every time they get a salary and every time they get you know a payout from this wage tax take a fund they are reminded that you know 
I'm part of like a group and a collective of people who work and use these means of production. And the, the better we are coordinated and the more, you know, we work together, the higher is the economical monetary payback that I, you know, you make use of as, as an individual, which means that, you know, you are no longer like a singular, you know, accounting unit of capital, which is what a salary is, but you are, you know, there is something bigger and it's directly related to, you know, the relationship of the means of production. And I think, you know, they knew that somebody knew that and they're like, it won't be a lot of money, but that doesn't matter. That's not the point. You know, they're going to start to think in a very dangerous way. Right. And uh, yeah, that's, that's my take anyway, like why they whacked him. Interesting. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. Because if you look at the history of social democracy, this was, you know, a few places tried to do this. There were even some communist countries where they were like, definitely not. This is super dangerous. <laughs> like they're they're going to be questioning everything, you know, like we're going to have like Shanghai communes all everywhere here. <laughs> like we cannot have this. So, you know, I think they were really onto something with that. Like, I think it's even smarter than I've seen some like yeah, theoreticians talk about, you know, that that uh, the, that the money should have like the dollar bill, like you know, that they should say on the dollar bill, like how, like and $1 is equivalent of how much average labor time, which I, I, I guess that's okay. Like that's, you know, in the same direction, like it wouldn't do any damage, I think, if that was, you know, on the dollar bill. But I don't think that, you know, you still have this problem of one person receiving this, you know, one person having a relationship with his own labor time, you know, it doesn't bring things to another level uh, critically, I think. But, but the wage taker fund, yeah, could have could definitely have done something very crucial. Interesting. Mm -hmm. yeah. So, Marcus. Right, Jimmy, my dude. Jonestown. Yeah. What what are we to make of Jonestown? <laughs> <laughs> you have to always avoid that question, <laughs> Jimmy. I don't know. I have no idea. I think I think I'm only going to do damage to everything we talked about, you know, if I try to make some kind of a conclusion. I don't know, Marcus. Uh, I think that this is yeah. clearly a story of a cult leader who just, you know, it's <laughs> like, first of all, people are sheep, but smart people yeah. join cults, too. Anyone can be fooled. Yes. It speaks about the dangers of the demagogue, you know. Mm hmm. It speaks to the dangers of left-wing politics. Don't look, don't don't look in that direction. You know, no, no, and don't try to you know just keep going to a regular church. Don't try to you know be part of a church that you know does some kind of actual social work and improving the lives of people. <laughs> you know, stay away from that. Keep shopping, right? Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> it's true. true, right? It's true, right? That 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 Bush said that like the day after. 9-11 right? uh, like, i think it was like a week shopping. or two but yeah uh, I mean, okay like yeah. either way they were like oh shoot we yeah. need the economy to be buzzing <laughs> yeah yeah <sighs> fucking jonestown man it's like i'm looking at the sky right now <laughs> I, <am>. <laughs> <laughs> I shouldn't be doing that <laughs> i don't know it's so like you know oh, every direction you go and there's like you know a new vibe a new feeling a new like you know certainty of you know what went down and you know you feel like you know wow now i know you know why they did it and then every time you come across something like some eyewitness report of like what went down on the final day of the operation white knight 
and there's just some eerie detail about a personal relationship that somebody had to someone and you know what they said when they found out that they just drank poison or they just fed poison to their child and you just like the whole, your mind just shuts down and you have to start all over again <laughs> and you're like yeah. but why would you do this <laughs> no oh. like okay yeah. so in mormon theology right yeah there's a there's sort of this isn't like hardcore like this isn't like for sure mormon doctrine per se but like there are writings that suggest mm -hmm. mind you you know mind you it's like yeah. buying into a lot of assumptions but like yeah the idea that like in the afterlife one of the different things that will happen is that everyone will get to basically sit down and watch what are essentially almost like movies of like everything that has ever happened in the history of the world from different people's perspectives wow that's cool yeah I, it's I, cool I, that's i really like that idea right and like yeah gosh dang if i don't want that so much like if i were doing that and i were like okay time to sit down with a remote in you know collab right yeah <laughs> in mormon heaven yeah 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 <laughs> and watch movies of the past boom gotta be jonestown one of the very first <laughs> yeah. things i'm checking out <laughs> definitely definitely all the outtakes the whole you know director's cut and then <laughs> yeah it's like sure maybe i'll watch my own life and see the birth of you know my ch children or like you know my freaking marriage or something but like after that going to jonestown seeing what the hell exactly happened yeah no, definitely, definitely. <laughs> so many times, like that, I wanted to just, you know, yeah, be there and uh, viewing, you know, from like a small position, maybe with binoculars, yeah, know, surrounding yeah. the the jungle from a gra grassy knoll. But then I, you know, catch myself thinking, like, yeah, I mean, but <laughs> but then you then you catch yourself thinking that you're like, wait, these are the actual thoughts of maybe some people who were actually there, yeah. you know, keeping track of. Who do it willingly? Who do not do it willingly? How mm. many does it take, you know, before you need that many to do it willingly, etc., etc. Yeah. <sighs> mm. Yeah. Yeah, man. I don't know. No summary. <laughs> no conclusion. There cannot be a conclusion. Just the black hole of Guyana. <laughs> yeah. Well, but we did a good job, though, Jimmy. Fuck me. No, I, I think, think so. I mean, like, yeah. I'll say for the listener's sake, first of all. Uh, Marcus did a what was it four parts right? Yeah, four parts. And one, the last one is like a double part, mm -hmm. double uh, which goes into stuff that we somehow did not talk about. <laughs> yeah, right. Like there's stuff we didn't even talk about. I, I really didn't want to repeat myself. <laughs> yeah. No, and you literally didn't, honestly. Yeah. Um, so listeners should check that out. It's really good. Um, yeah, thank you. Thank and you're continuing to do other stuff with Unit 731 and, uh, you know. The AIDS scandal, man. Fuck yeah. me. I never looked into the AIDS thing, like, before, you know. Like, I always thought that's, like, on the level of chemtrails, that there could be something about, you know, AIDS that, that was planned. Because you're looking at, like, Libya now, too, right? With the... Um... Yeah. Yeah, well, uh, like, now it's, like, so... Or you were doing Green Revolution, right? I, I wasn't sure what you meant by that. 
Yeah, it's. I thought everybody <laughs> knew that, but again, like it's just me, you know, being a farmer and like being nerdy about. Okay, I was thinking green, like Gaddafi. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. Yeah, yeah. No, it's like the, <laughs> it's the whole mechanization of, uh, like you know, the the decentralization, let's say, of uh, of uh, yeah, the world's food production production basically. Mm. And I started. I told you. I think I uh, maybe we did that off recording. Like, but you know, we t- I talked a little bit about it in the beginning like how I came across like uh, some Rockefeller letters in the uh, yeah in the uh, League of Nations when they were making like in connection somehow with unit 731 that they had like uh, uh, like an epidemi- ep- ep- epidemiological intelligence gathering bureau all over Asia uh, that they were like rating <laughs> um, like you know harbors and stuff you know for the smooth operation of uh, commodity exchange uh, as always and they um i later find out man that they stole a small seed from japan in 1945 that made its way all the way to mexico and which basically that's the beginning of the whole green revolution and mm. like they are all over the place man like ford and rockefeller like I don't even know, like, you know, the, just where I'm at right now, I'm talking about them having 95% control of the rice production in Punjab, you know, home to some 200 million people. I mean, that's basically the USA, right? And like, yeah. okay, a little bit more in the US, 350, right? Or something, 380. And let's say half, but, you know, and, and like the, the sheer scale of like the monopoly power that they have, you know, imposed on the agricultural global production it's it's mind-boggling <laughs> and it's so crazy like oh, it's case after case you know it's the free market at work <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> and it just like you know this thing about it growing out of the unit 731 is also just so eerie you know like there's always like you know i like what you said you know like the about you know you always have some family crime right like like all history is family history and mm-hmm. at the at the beginning of every family history there isn't you know an abomination of a crime. Yeah, some original sin. <laughs> right, like when you did the Krupp stuff. Yeah, exactly. What was it with the Krupps? They did... Well, there was there was a couple, honestly. <laughs> they they just confiscated all the stuff after the uh, after the plague, right? Like they just yeah. took over everything. <laughs> yeah, similar things with the Rockefeller and the Ford, of course. You know, like who, who would have thought? And uh, yeah, uh, and then, and I promise, you know, I'm not trying to sell any kind of you know supplements for your gut health or anything. You know, <laughs> when I tell you that, you know, you're dying <laughs> little by little. I don't have. A medicine that you can buy from me <laughs> it's just yeah that's the i think that's what i have to give but uh yeah no that's a but good if you point. like it's like yeah things are fucked up and we are not selling the solution <laughs> yeah no because really like when it comes to like agricultural history today i only get like when you search for that if you want to know about this stuff like how they control the you know the food uh, networks of the world and like you know Monsanto, Bayer, Gates, you know all of these uh, actors. Uh, uh, all you get basically like on YouTube are like nutritions, you know, nutritionists and, and people like that, you know, who's trying to sell some some stuff. Yeah, and then it's like a lot, a huge shit code on the whole like GMO thing. Not to say yeah. that there's not valid concerns. It's just 
you know yeah. somehow the most vocal voices are the cranks like oh imagine my surprise <laughs> yeah. yeah no for sure did you yeah, but not to put you on the spot i mean i might even cut this part but like did you listen to one of my super early premium episodes where i talk about factory farms in the united states because i bet you would i bet you would like it uh wait 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 which series was it was it the the uh cromwell no 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 it was um on the patreon side it was one of the first episodes and it was like going through sort of like basically how banks and insurance companies own all the farmland (laughs) when you look at like who owns the monopolies on farmland and stuff yeah, 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 it's crazy. It's crazy it's like that. Like, nuts. Yeah, like you really like there's I think there's no case where you can see like, you know, the myth of a free market as, as good as you can when you start to looking at who owns farmland. Yeah, like <laughs> it's like you could take out those people in in a theater like it wouldn't be a problem. It wouldn't be a problem like to fit them in there. You could do it in, in this, one of those observing booths. And you would have like freed up, yeah, the substantial majority part of the world's agricultural land if you if you threw up a, a hand grenade in that observing <laughs> little pod of the theater, or you you did the Russian thing and just like put some gas in there. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. The fucking syringe gas comes up in the story as well, of course. Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. So. It's everything. It's big chem, it's big ag, it's big uh, pharma. Which, like, the like the Unit 731, you take it in so many more interesting directions than, like, just, you know, the limited story of, like, hey, yeah. look, they brought him over to the United States and got his research. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I tried to do really, like, reading all the documents and, like, all the, like, not all the documents, but, like, trying to read... You know, and a lot of the things I didn't find, you know, from the books, like I found, you know, these uh, questions that the Rockefeller sent to one of the investigators in Tokyo and where they are talking, there's like 16 questions only about agriculture, you know, like what kind of pests were you experimenting with? What kind of fertilizer? You know, how did this work? How do you do chemtrails, basically? And like, <laughs> how do you do this? <laughs> it's crazy. Like they called it bacterial rain, right? Like, which is a cooler word, actually, than chemtrails. But uh, yeah, I mean, uh, it's all so like... Yeah. Yeah, it's it's I, it's uh, it's already so dark. So like you almost don't know, you know, where do I take it from here? Like you know, it's already cranked up to eleven. So if you want to hear the truth about chemtrails, check out yeah. the Return of yeah. the Rapist. Do that, do that. <laughs> you want to tell some annoying person one time, like, oh, you don't even know where it begins, man. <laughs> you have no idea. It would require me explaining World War Two. Then unit 731 <laughs> just going yeah. all the way down <laughs> yeah 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 malai emergency man and like yeah, so <laughs> many crazy things uh there was one thing i wanted to um point out uh yeah like okay like just to get a feel like isn't it interesting like really like this is you know very very right now kind of thing i mean have we really asked ourselves like what kind of world do we live in when Monsanto has to be, you know, their PR is so bad and, you know, their public image is so, you know, ruined that they have to be bought by an 
IG Farben company to increase <laughs> the, to increase the way that people look at them as a company, and that that actually works. That's so funny. And how how is that possible? Yeah, right. How can that actually be? You know, an actual method of you know making sure that you can keep on doing what you're you know doing. Like, oh, it's fine now. We come on, man. Now it's just IG Farben doing their thing again. Like, okay, carry on. Carry Back on. to the old me. Yeah. Fuck. Hmm. All right. Should we should we call it quits here? Do, do we have something else? Yeah. So. You know, we recommended your show. Were, were there any other aspects to that, um, like your Twitter or anything else you wanted to plug? Um, uh, no, it's, I don't really have any social media. Like, I guess hmm. eventually I'm going to go on Twitter so I can see what you're up to there. But uh, I, yeah, I have a Patreon and and, uh, and the show, basically. But, like, so far all the episodes are free. And I was saying that, you know, when I get 50 people or something, I'll start doing like bonus shows the way you do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, shout out to all the, you know, the cool people in your discord, you know, like they're the, they're the most awesome, most awesome people I've met in a long time. I haven't been like on internet forums or like community groups since, I don't know, like when I was in the Dota pickup channel, like when Dota was still like a mod to Warcraft three, like I had, <laughs> uh, I had out in that Mirk channel and I haven't been gaming or doing, you know, internet community stuff since then. So yeah, like, I don't know, that must be early 2000s. Right. So I'm so like, I'm kind of excited, you know, like to be back in like, you know, and these are actually nice people. And so, you know, if you're not, if you're not on the discord and you're listening to the show, like, you know, if you, if you want to know more, <laughs> you should go over to the Discord. It's yeah. a lovely community. It is. It is definitely. 